Hey, is this Colin? Yes. And I'm Tom. Welcome to the Heavy Hole Podcast. I'm Big Will, <laughs> a.k.a. Uncle Behold the Who's Octopus. I'm Big Will's friend, Justin, and welcome to the Heavy Hole Podcast. That's right. And today our guest is Colin Marston. How you doing, Colin? I'm doing fucking awesome. Good to uh, hear you guys' voices. Yeah, you too, man. Good to hear you. We kind of we kind of pranked you, man. We had to get you get you going um, right off the top, man, with the cold intro. I love it. <laughs> so uh, sneak attack. Yeah, yeah, we got you, man. But uh, we can edit this out real quick. Is there anything behind the scenes? How you, how you doing, Colin? Everything good, man? Yeah, yeah. No, I've been having a pretty chill day. Mostly working on uh, the new album for uh, <clears throat> for Mick, uh, who I play with in Kralis and bunch of other bands um he's got this new album he did that's all uh it's pretty much all non-guitar there is a little bit of acoustic guitar but it's all these sort of acoustic instruments he had laying around his house uh, a lot of which are like sort of untunable so it's this <laughs> sort of like c- c- cacophonous uh like um ruckus cacophonous ruckus is what i'm gonna call it <laughs> wow wow it's it just sounds like something you should be involved in though Sounds very oh, I'm, I'm so happy! I, I'm so happy I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of cacophonous ruckus, uh, you've been very busy uh, this year. Busier than most uh, during during the shut-in time this year. I think we could all say, right? Uh, you know, it's weird. I I feel less busy, and I look at what I've made, and I'm and I am somehow more productive. So it's it's huh. it's strange. I mean, I think everybody's been feeling a similar like alteration of the flow of time over the past mm. however many months it's been nine months now yeah um yeah. so yeah it's interesting because it's like i've been making all these i've been making definitely more of my own records than usual i've been working for other people a little bit less than usual but it's all been remote work so it's been kind of like more jobs than i would do than if it were bands coming into the studio because i'm not i'm not doing all the tracking um yeah. So yeah, it's been weird, man. It's been kind of like all of the above. Hmm. Well, we want to get into it, um, but I'm taking a back seat tonight with some of the. I do have some questions because um, you forwarded me like like I think around 20 links to to, to different releases yeah. you've been involved in this year. Uh, I took some notes, I listened to them, um, but it's like I said, I'm taking a back seat tonight uh, because this is our Colin Marston Q and A. Uh, and we are, by the way, Colin, I don't know if I've mentioned this, we're putting this out New Year's Eve for the listeners. Oh, that's awesome. Wow, what an honor. Yeah, so if they are um, uh, completely lonely, uh, antisocial um, desperados like myself and have nothing and to me. do on yeah. New Year's Eve. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, actually, Tom and I will probably be hanging out. Yeah, yeah. You come too, Will. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, look, joking aside, uh, yeah, but people can uh, listen to this on our New Year's Eve episode when it comes out uh, with Colin Marston. And in that, in the, the spirit of that, and thanks to our listeners, um, Colin, you're one of the people who people have requested, uh, listeners have requested that we have back for a part two. And if people don't realize by now, they can go back and listen to our interview that we did with you out there in Queens at the studio uh, over a year ago, I think it was now. We covered a lot of ground. Uh, we're going to let the listeners uh, ask some questions right now for you. Awesome. Sick. All right. So, uh, like I said, if you if you just can't wait to hear about that new Incentrack album, we're going to get to it. But right now, we're going to go for. Uh, and also, the because uh, I'm a cheap bastard, the Patreon people are getting priority with their questions right now. So we're going to go. That in. seems fair. Uh, well, your eyes just turned green. The yeah, metal, the metal <laughs> economy. <laughs> All right. 
Um, let's see. Now, the first uh, question is from Panic Chords. Uh, and they say, uh, what's your favorite piece of gear for playing and for recording? Whew. That's, uh, that's always a tough one. Um, I, I feel like I'm going to give kind of a sneak attack answer and say that I'm, I'm, I'm oddly not that much of a gear guy. I mean, I have to be to some degree, it, it, you know, since I have the studio. So in a sense, I am because I'm just surrounded by gear. <laughs> But at the same time, like I really lack the the gear um, like uh, addiction, you know. Like I'm not into new gear. Like, like let me put it this way: like for years, I was kind of building up to have enough stuff to be able to like record a full band and to have options and you know have good preamps and microphones and all that stuff. And I've really found like in the last couple years, like I haven't bought anything. Like just hard drives basically like that's been like my <laughs> biggest purchase is like mic stands you know as they break things like that mm, not even for um, fun well sort of i mean like <laughs> what's what's something i i feel like there was actually something kind of oh okay so the last piece of gear that i bought was actually during the pandemic it was like maybe six or eight months ago i at the um uh at the suggestion of john engman uh, I got a sort of like an MPC style four by four um, grid of, of pads, like MIDI controller. Cause I've been doing all these records where I play like finger drums, like playing, you know, drums just like on a piano keyboard. But it, you end up having to do these very awkward hand positions to do something like a blast beat. Like I can't reach the ride cymbal and the bass drum at the same time, like the way it's laid out. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so I, I got this um, this pad at his suggestion, which is just another keyboard. Basically, it doesn't have any sounds built in; it's just a controller, and uh, and that's actually been really fun. Um, I, I recorded my own drum samples here at the studio, and first made that uh, that Intricathear um, Tedium Torpor Stasis record. That was kind of the first thing I used it on, and then since then I've been using it on like almost everything I've been making. Um, so yeah, there there are exceptions, but I mean that was literally like a ninety nine dollar piece of equipment that doesn't actually make any sound well uh, it's interesting because it's i i swear to god before you said that i was gonna uh suggest maybe that because i noticed on a lot of these new projects in Drickathir, if i said it right um in particular you use uh these uh finger drums a lot so it seems like you've been opening up with that and i was wondering if there was a connection with john engman there absolutely um when i what was it it was I mean, obviously when Brodekin came back and he was doing that, it just kicked my ass. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And uh, um, I think I ended up getting his email address from Paulo and was just like, you know, hey, is it, is it, is it, can you ask him if it's cool if, you know, I get his email address? And so I wrote him and I was really interested in, in you know, what his approach to it was. So he was the most awesome, generous dude. And uh, he let me call him up and pick his brain for like over an hour. We had a great, great phone conversation about it. And um, so, yeah, I learned a lot. Like even the way that I set up the pads was kind of at his suggestion of doing a symmetrical setup and having sort of like two pads of each drum on either side. So you can kind of like use your left and right hand um, interchangeably. Um, so, yeah, no, he was a he was a huge, huge influence in that. Yeah. When he was on the show, he had shared that information about how he set it up symmetrically like that. It, something clicked in my head and I was like, this is this is an interesting way of like uh, electronic percussion huh. I never even thought of I always thought of things in a grid like that but it's like why yeah. not double the grid 
and get get real flexible. Right, right, yeah, and 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 it because it, it's, I don't know, I I actually have to go back and watch videos of, of him playing again to see kind of more how how he does it because I was originally in, imagining that I would be doing more actual like using all like four of the fingers on each hand to hit stuff, but the reality of it was, and I, I, he mentioned this in his episode too, is that there's no response on those pads. Like there's no, um, there's no, uh, dynamic, uh, like not, not dynamic. What's the word? Like, uh, like where it bounces back rebound. There's no rebound. Oh, okay. yeah. So yeah, you know, when you're a drummer and you're like doing a blast beat on the ride symbol, like you hit the ride and you hit the snare and there's like, it, it pushes back. So you, you can use that energy to kind of play faster. But with these pads, it's just like fucking playing a table. So you you have to play a little bit differently. And what I found was I actually kind of had to hit a lot harder than I thought I would. And it and it feels more like playing bongos or something where you're actually kind of smacking a, a drum. Huh. Um, so I found myself less like playing with like four fingers on each hand and more just kind of like using each hand as a single implement. And every now and then I would like hit two pads at the same time with my right hand, but I wouldn't be like... It, would, it, would, it wouldn't look like piano playing. It looks more like I'm drumming with drumsticks, but I just don't happen to be holding drumsticks. All right. Wow. So, yeah, I, I've, I've definitely, it's, it's been interesting, the difference, because the piano keyboard is one of those spring-loaded, you know, cheap MIDI keyboards. So that actually has tons of rebound. Yeah. So when I did the, uh, I did the Zazraug album, which is like the black metal one that I did, that was all on the piano keyboard before I got the pads. And that one, I was actually, it was easier to play fast. It was just harder to, like, do things like fills and stuff because the layout was, was worse. All right. That's interesting. And like, uh, like Tom said, for the listeners, we did interview John Engman about that whole process and what he does with the, uh, the finger drums, the electronic setup, um, well over a year ago. It's one of our earlier episodes. Um, so it's kind of cool to hear that you've been experimenting with that. And uh, like you mentioned, I think it was... Um, uh, Indricathir, if I, I, I how, how is it pronounced? Yeah, that's that's fair enough. I, I say Indricathir, <laughs> but it's it's that's just Indricathir. as good. Uh, yeah, because there's a few albums. I know the one um, Tedium Tem- uh, Tarpostasis, um, and the other one Altrrn have percussion, but there was one uh, Xi that's mainly keys, right? Yeah, that's the fully ambient one, the, like the the almost four hour one. Yeah, totally. That's that's one of the first things I did during the the lockdown. Yeah, um, interesting, man. And and um, a lot of other stuff we'll get into. But uh, Panic Chords also quickly wanted to know, top album of 2020, not an not a, uh, uh, an easy question for sure. Oh, um, well, if I get to kind of cheat and it's something I worked on, then, I've just, <laughs> then I'm just going to say the, the uh, Defeated Sanity. Um, just because that, that, that one, works. Even, yeah. if I, even if I didn't work on yeah. it, if somebody else had recorded it and it sounded a little bit different, like it'd probably still be my favorite. Yeah, um, yeah. And that's also kind of like taking taking away a lot of other awesome Friends records that I that I could have picked. But uh, because I just I just want to I guess more or less I got to pick the Defeated just because that's I've been sort of trying to work on an album of theirs for like twelve years now and I finally got to. So it just kind of feels like all right at last <laughs> yeah that's that's a big flex man that's that's and shout to defeated sanity um and and moving along because we got a lot we want to get to at least all the patreon questions uh adam moore asks what was it like working with diafago on 2015's into the eye of satan and how did you unite your production style with their unusual take on death and black metal 
Oh man, awesome question. Love that band. That is one of my favorite bands I've ever worked with. Um, and it's and it's funny that I get that that question came up because I was actually just going back to listen to their their 2019 album uh, like yesterday or two days ago or something because I I had heard it when it came out but I hadn't really like sat down and fully absorbed it and so I was checking that out the other day um, and just being reminded of how great that band is but that session was. Um, uh, it, it was just so awesome because it, it's like these guys have this approach to music that's like to some people, it probably just sounds like completely unorganized chaos, but it's it, it, it isn't. I mean, it's it's songs like they and they did lots of takes of them and they picked the one that was the best. And I mean, it was recorded just like any other record would be recorded. It just happens to be just the most insane music ever. <laughs> And, and they would kind of go out of their way in some ways to make it more chaotic. Like I remember when we got to the uh, vocal stage, um, he has his, uh, Voltaire has his sort of normal sort of thrashy black metal delivery. And then he has his, his pitch shifter kind of gore, gory vocals. And I remember saying like, um, he was like, okay, I'm going to do the, the, the black metal vocals first. And then I'm going to go back and, and do the pitch shifter one separately you know, doubling certain lines. And I was like, well, you know, if, if you want, just to throw out an option, you don't actually have to do them as two separate takes. I could just process certain lines with the pitch shifter and layer that on top if, if you want. And then they would be like more together. And he's like, no, I don't want them to be more together. I want them to be more <laughs> not together. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's how, that's, that's how I would look at it. All right, sick. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Uh, but, um, um, and, and it was also just really fun hanging out with those guys because they... I mean, there's there's definitely a language barrier. I think Voltaire spoke the best English, and the drummer they had at the time, who was who was Costa Rican, um, spoke almost no English. But it was like you know we were spending so many hours hanging out uh, all these days that it was kind of fun to just have these conversations where we'd communicate like partially through Google Translate, partially through just like hand gestures, partially through just like putting on records and just like. You know, just smiling at each other. Like he was so impressed that I had Nocturnus the key on vinyl, which is, Ooh. I mean, it's just whatever. Like that's, it's like just a record that I have. But he was so <laughs> obsessed with the fact that it was here. Hell yeah. And so I, just, I don't know. I just couldn't help but appreciate that. Hell yeah, man. That's that's awesome. And I, yeah, I'm a fan of Diafago, man. And, and that album, uh, Into the Eye of Satan in 2015. And uh, moving along, because we got a lot of questions, Sean Newhart asks, how do you manage all of your projects and a recording studio on top of them? And I'll leave that question out. We, you know, we got a lot of questions like kind of similar to that on, on other platforms that we put, to put this out. So how do you manage all your projects and a recording studio on top of them? Sure, sure. Um, well, for one thing, I don't really view them as being like in opposition in fact it's kind of i feel like it's easier to have both like they 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 each sort of fuel each other uh so having a dedicated space to make music record definitely helps all the bands i'm in because it's not like all right time to make a record all right where are we going to go record it? it that's never a question so that's helpful also getting to actually record the record in the exact same room that you practice in is kind of a huge advantage mm -hmm. um and uh, and then the the bands that I play in and like the albums that I make with those bands and, and going on tour with those bands and so on too, also kind of 
works almost as a kind of advertisement. I feel weird using that word, but it it does help get the word out about the studio because if somebody hears the Dysrhythmia record or whatever and it's like, oh, that's a good sounding record. I wonder where they did that. Oh, the, Colin did it, you know, and then, oh, Colin does all the records that he, that he plays on. Um, interesting. And so that might lead to them checking out more of my stuff and maybe selling another CD or another Bandcamp download. And it might lead to another, you know, band wanting to maybe come and, and record here. Uh, so yeah, I, I feel yeah. like they, they actually kind of, kind of help each other. They, it's not, they're not, it's not like two drains on my time and I'm kind of like figuring out how to, how to balance them necessarily. It is a lot of stuff. I mean, that's, that's for sure. But um, well, yeah, I think, yeah, it, I, I think it, they help each other. I can definitely see what you mean. And um, I know what you mean about feeling weird about calling it advertising, but there's a great degree of, I would call it cross promotion that goes on uh, between my bands and the podcast. Uh, sure, and, exactly. And, it's probably it's a very similar thing, I would imagine. You yeah. know, and you don't want to seem like you're exploiting anything or whatever, but at the same time, it's it's all part of your output, your creative output, and your brand in a way. You know, so I don't see any uh, any problem with the cross promotion. Like, what are we going to do? Put a little imaginary wall up and act like I'm not Will from the podcast when I do vocals in a band, and mm -hmm. you know, and vice versa. Or... I still won't listen to Afterbirth. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but but yeah, I, I get it, man. It. Um, and, and it's cool too because it's I mean like a lot of times I'll play a show with fill in the blank band and you know afterwards I well might be like hanging out by the merch table or some, something and, and end up chatting with somebody at the show and then like a year later I'm recording them that, that just has seemed to happen over and over again huh, um, yeah. so it, it, it's it's really cool to actually like meet the people that you're going to work with first I mean we have that advantage with, with people like me and you and people in like uh, uh, you know in the place that we live more or less but like you know i'm talking about people from there, there's this band from uh um denmark um called oh my god why am i forgetting the name defile mentory uh which is kind of like an immolation-y death metal band really good okay and uh i first met them playing a show with uh gore guts and i was like oh this band's great you know talked to them afterwards made friends or whatever and and you know fast forward a couple years i've mastered two albums for them and they're not people i ever would have met otherwise if i hadn't gone and played a show with them exactly exactly all right man um and we got some questions about your gorguts experience coming up um they sam the, the listeners are actually writing the segue pretty good in, in, in natural order right now they listen to the show yeah, they know the lore, yeah. yeah. it's all coming together it's all coming together yeah. uh sam marino on patreon uh, writes hey colin big fan really enjoyed the xi release this year uh, I already bigged them up on it. It's, I, I already said it, but you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just kidding, Sam. Give Sam a chance. Will likes it more than yeah. you, Sam. Yeah, I, I know about it more. <laughs> no, Sam Marino says, hey, Colin, big fan, really enjoyed the XI release this year. Just curious to hear about your approach to writing music. How does writing crazy lead lines in Behold the Octopus compare to building the bass in Gorguts and Dysrhythmia? Um, I'd say the biggest difference with Behold is that that's a band where I'm writing everybody's parts. I'm writing the drum parts note for note, the guitar parts note for note, the war guitar parts note for note, and then handing off the parts to the other people. So it's a lot more like a classical ensemble in that sense, where like I'm the composer and I'm saying, here's your part. And, and obviously like their interpretation of it is going to bring a vibe, but it's not like they're actually changing the material. Um, with Dysrhythmia and Gorguts and Kralis, all those bands operate a little more like standard rock bands where like 
um, if I'm writing the song, I write the song all the way through beginning to end the structure and the riffs on my instrument, but not anybody else's part. And then I hand it off to the other musicians and they more or less compose their own part uh, to go to go with it. And it's usually like a different thing that I'm playing. Um, there, There isn't an exception to that, which is the song uh, Forgotten Arrows on Colored Sands that I wrote. For that song, I actually wrote everything, kind of like a Behold the Arctopus song, except except the vocals and lyrics. Hmm. Um, but all the uh, but the the I actually started and wrote it on guitar, and then added drum machine, and then added bass. And you know things get changed along the way once somebody else interprets it. But um, that was that was kind of the one exception to that rule. Mostly, it's like more of a collaborative deal, even if somebody kind of is responsible for the the structure. Okay, and, and Sam Marino adds, do you find you change your style accordingly when swapping instruments, or are there some techniques and practices that carry over? Cheers. Uh, yeah, I think there's probably stuff that carries over. I mean, it, it kind of depends on, you know, specifically more like, maybe like what he's curious about more specifically, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, there's like certain sounds and techniques that might... Uh, exist in two bands and certain ones that are maybe more singular to one. So as an example, uh, Gorgas and Dysrhythmia, I'm playing the same instrument, playing the six string bass. So in both of those bands, I'm doing a lot of work with open strings and using the higher strings of the bass, um, as well as the lower strings. But I mean, I, I, I tend to focus on the high strings, I think more than some other bass players. Uh, so, so that's, you know, one thing that's similar. And then Gorgut's Dysrhythmia and Behold the Arctopus all have tapping, but Behold the Arctopus is like tapping, you know, maybe like 80% of the time. And, <laughs> and in the other bands, it's more like 20%. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, man. Uh, so uh, we appreciate that for Sam Marino. That's interesting, man. And um, Phil, Tom, Philip Wadey, what's the name of his podcast? Oh, Phil Wadey. It's uh, uh, Breakfast Metal. Yeah, Breakfast Metal. I didn't want to get it wrong. Yeah. Uh, shout out to him. Thank you for your support, Phil. Uh, we see you on the social media from time to time. He says, when working on something like the latest Pieron album, where you are involved in the recording, mixing, and mastering, how do you keep an open mind for each stage of that process uh, when you are hearing the songs that many times? Good question. Um, and especially good because it, it isn't as typical for the same person to mix and master the recording. It's more common that you have one person record and, and, and maybe mix two, and then you get somebody else's like fresh perspective for mastering. And I totally see the advantage to that. But I also see the advantage to having the same person master who mixes, because you, at that, at that point, after having recorded and mixed something, you're so familiar with the album, it's like it can kind of work against you or for you. So. As long as I'm careful, I can make sure that it works for me and make sure that the album doesn't get kind of fucked up at the last minute, which is very common with mastering because, I mean, don't get me started on mastering. It's 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 like a it's a bastardized art form. <laughs> that, that's just make you just make the mix louder, right? That's yeah. what I'm here, right? Just hot and loud. I mean, maybe that's the whole conversation right there. Maybe maybe we've just had it and it's and it's over. We've covered the whole, entire thing. Um so yeah, so it's like, you know, to, r related to that specifically, if I'm the one mastering the Pieron record, I can make sure that it's not just mastered for loudness and then this, you know, beautiful mix that we've spent weeks working on isn't just kind of like 
I'm not going to say that like ultra compressed mastering ever completely ruins an album, but it, it definitely can like take away or it can add. And a I'll, lot I'll, of times it takes away. So I can make sure that it doesn't do that. Will hates that. I'll say that it can completely ruin an album. <laughs> <laughs> I won't mention well, any I, names. I, I won't get specific, but I'll say that it can. It can. It's possible. Sure, sure. I mean, I, I kind of stand by the statement that if it's really good music and if it's a decent mix, then even with terrible mastering, it'll still sound pretty good. It's just that it would have sounded better if it didn't have stupid mastering. Fair enough, and there's some albums I've participated in over the years, uh, mainly a while ago, uh, none that you've participated in, Colin, that uh, <laughs> that, that have horrible mixing and mastering jobs. I'm not going to get specific. Uh, weren't you but, happy that it was more expensive, though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was def- I probably paid more than I would with Colin for less quality. But, but yeah, nothing that Colin was involved in. But I'm just making the point, I can talk shit, because I have some bad shit out there, too. Uh, well, I think that makes sense because most of the worst mastering jobs in history were probably the most expensive, like Death Magnetic, right? Oh boy! Oh boy! Oh, we're we're, get, we're gonna go there, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Let's open up the Metallica conversation. <laughs> oh, it's that- just always open. Metallica is just this fucking like this, this box that's just in everybody's room, and it's always open. And it won't go away. We- I, I ignore it now, just like I do the recycling. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, like, I first heard it's mad. I just just before we get canceled, I recycle. Okay, listen. I was actually ju- I was just emailing with a band like an hour ago before this about loud mastering because that's just what I talk about every day, and I was saying mm. that really what Metallica should have done with da- Death Magnetic is not you know compressed the master a lot to make it loud really to make sure that everybody was getting a loud experience, they should have gone to every single fan's house and made sure that their volume knob was, like, taped at maximum. Like, glue, glue yep. the volume knob to 10. That would have done it. That I like it. I like it. Uh, but if we're going to play the what Metallica should have done game, I could get a lot more, uh, lot, lot, <laughs> get a lot more raw. Yeah, Kirk uh, Hammett's like, no, I, the 80s. I played yeah. that in one take, I swear. <laughs> I have to go to bed before 3 o'clock tonight. Yeah, so, all right. So, uh, all right, Metallica's on pause. Yeah, put Metallica back in that little box for a little bit. I've um, heard of them. Because uh, Harrison Clark has a question. Uh, shout out to Harrison. Uh, we see you out there on the social media, buddy. Uh, I'm a big fan of your projects nowadays, but I remember my introduction to Behold the Octopus was from... I think the cringe channel back when I was a kid. It was that playthrough of Alcoholicost you guys did years ago specifically. Was there a lot of backlash that you guys received from it, or did it potentially give you guys some exposure? Uh, yes. <laughs> I love it. That, okay, so a slightly more complete answer to that. Um, yeah, I, so. It's, it's funny because I actually came back to that recently myself. Hmm. Um, I think maybe when we were working on Sanguinary Impetus, or right before Lilla was, was saying something like, um, <laughs> oh, it, you know, by the way, the, the, the worst band in the world video is, uh, is like past a million views or something. And I was like, wait, that's, that's still there? Because I hadn't been able to find it in years. I hadn't looked recently, but years ago, I think I looked and it, and it didn't come up. And so what had happened was the same video's been there since... 2007 or whatever but it got changed from the worst band into the world in the world to the greatest band in the world (laughs) (laughs) so if you want to look it up that's what it's under now but it's it's still got all the like thousands of comments of people freaking out and um i gotta say like one of my favorite parts of of octopus like after the music is done 
is is all the flack that we get and all the negative criticism. I just I I love it. It's so hilarious and great to me. Um, how how much instrumental instrumental music can freak people out, and especially that one because that one doesn't even have drums. So it's almost like the less we give people, the more disturbed they are by it. Um, and there's actually a song on our new album that doesn't have drums and. I'm not gonna say the original idea was because of that, but as soon as I realized that it was kind of that, it was sort of like an intentional version of that video, I got really excited. <laughs> I, I gotta say, like the idea of presenting something like that, knowing that it's going to get a negative reaction and having Behold in the name makes it even better. <laughs> behold! Yeah. Behold what's going on here. <laughs> Check it out! <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, great. just just like a command or, a, or yeah, just something that seems like it's trying to trying to get your attention when you really don't want to pay attention. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love it. I, I love it. But oh, yeah, the yeah. full the full story of that video and why it is the way it is is because uh, this was and it was even years before 2007. I think it was back in maybe 2004 or five. Um, maybe I don't know. It was anyway. It was a year or two before that. Uh, Mike and I got uh, asked to do an interview for Guitar Magazine. And, you know, that was, like, fucking crazy to me because I, I grew up reading that magazine. Um, and I think it's changed name a couple times. It was maybe Guitar for the Practicing, practicing Musician and then Guitar and then Guitar One or something. Mm. But, uh, so, yeah, so the thing you, we did was we went into the office and we did the interview and then they, they, they did, you know, a, a, a photo shoot for the record and then they were like, oh, we want to do, like, a a playthrough of a song too. And uh, I think a, around, a couple years before, I had been really into that Gorguts guitar.com playthrough where it was just Luke and Steve playing songs from Obscura and from Wisdom to Hate without drums, you know, just on tiny practice amps, like yeah. in a guitar studio. And to me, it was like this revelation because I could kind of get inside the music a little bit more. And also just, I mean, Luke's incredibly infectious kind enthusiastic personality really comes through in that video and i loved that about it too so to me i was like oh we get to do like a version of that awesome this will be great and then of course it it just makes everybody want to vomit and oh. throw things at us <laughs> which which i gotta say is just even better than i could have imagined yeah yeah well that's part of the behold the octopus experience i remember seeing that uh, like online because i'm a huge fan of that album and like I used to spin it all the time, and then I saw that video, and I was just like, I couldn't understand why people were hating on it so much. <laughs> and I had to remove myself from the situation. I was yeah. just like, oh, yeah, this is really hard music to fucking understand. And without drums, oh, man, there's no anchor at all. It's yeah. it's awesome. Like, you know, as the guitar player, you're like, this is sick. But, man, I get it. I get what the internet is. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, it's also just, it's funny how much how many of the comments tend to focus on like how bad the tones are and it's just like well yeah we, we were playing through just whatever they had in the yeah. studio i mean i think mike yeah. was playing through it like a one eight amp with built-in distortion i didn't even have distortion i was playing clean yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's a it's a strange novelty on the internet um but yeah no i'm very happy that it's that it's still there and i'm glad that it continues to uh you know create hatred Hopefully we can take a few more views up on it uh, with this episode, uh, you know, coming out. People checking it out more. 
Um, I know I have to, to go back and watch it. I'm not familiar. I, you know, I'm I'm a vocalist, so I have. <laughs> I'm going to watch that, and I'm probably going to have a he brain hemorrhage. He just watched the uh, Sade video. <laughs> Listen, let's not bring Sade in. No, we, no let's, we can. Shout we to can Sade. If she wants to do an interview, uh, she could always holler. Shout out, Sade. Um, I love you so much. Oh, that'd be the best. Uh, yeah, we got we got to talk to Paul over. You're my hall pass. So R&B. Uh, but listen, we're veering off. Uh, we got to take the back seat to the listeners, to the yes. Patreon uh, questioners tonight. Um, Jacob Schultz, or Jacob Schulte, I apologize, whichever is the cor- correct pronunciation of your name, sir, thank you for your support, says, do you have any tips for building techniques on guitar? Is it better to practice at a tempo you are comfortable with, say for like down picking or tremolo picking, and get it super perfect, or to practice at a tempo that is slightly too difficult to be played cleanly? Mm, that's a good question. Um I recommend both, honestly. Uh, I think it's a really, yeah, no, I think it's a really good skill to be, if you're trying to play fast music, um, I think it is a good skill to be able to force yourself to slow it down and play it like a little bit more accurately and then work on speeding it up. But I noticed that that doesn't work for every musician um, that well. The classic example is is Abbott in the Abbott guitar lesson, uh, <laughs> which is another thing that people have to check out uh, on YouTube. One of my favorite videos. That one, um, yeah, that one in the call. He's unable one. to play Battles in the North slow. He can't do it. He doesn't understand. <laughs> it. That's my type of. That's my type of guitar player. I love yeah. that. I love that a lot. I love and it. Was it wasn't written like the, that? Right, and the thing is, uh, I'll, I'll say this too. Um, that record, amazing. Seeing Immortal play those songs now, not so amazing. Why? Because it's tight now. It's kind of like New Carcass, too. It's like, what, what, where's, there's something about the spirit of the sloppiness of those old records that actually, like, goes beyond being a detriment and becomes, like, part of the character. And somebody like Abbott is a really unique musical mind where, like, He's not thinking about music in terms of like the correct way, so to speak. He's just feeling it. And so he's only able to feel it kind of the way he wrote it. And I mean, adding on top of that, him playing drums on that album, you're getting like double that feel. So that's why it's it's got such a crazy energy to it. Um, So, you know, so so getting back to the question, I think like, yeah, if you want to be a more well-rounded musician, if you want to be able to do more things... If you want to understand music better, then sure, yeah, take that fast riff, slow it down, be able to play it well, and then speed it back up again. But not at the cost of musicality. Um, Like, if that gets you into thinking the tech death way, where shit's got to sound like Epitaph by Necrophagist, you know, like, then, I don't know, maybe think twice, you know? Like, maybe just find your own way in music and don't worry about how, like, correct or accurate it is. Um, so I really feel like it's, you know, being a, a truly well-rounded musician is sort of understanding the value of both things. Mm. I, I remember uh, to that point, I was recording with, uh, with Tom, Heavy Hole Podcast, Tom, and, uh, and, and I was working on the riff and I just couldn't nail it tight. And he was like, okay, play it faster than you would play it till that sounds okay. And then we went back to the, to right. the, the slower tempo uh, recording uh, 
I, yeah, example. no, I and forget it was, where I it read kind of works perfectly. for how I developed this technique, but with Justin... Um, is so non-eloquently I, trying to say. Yeah, exactly. I, I want to continue on with the Patreon questions, but real quickly, um, have you ever, like, used a technique like speeding up a track with a guitar player who is having a hard time with something? He, he's never worked. Okay, so yeah, Saturn. yeah, that was kind of the that was kind of the reverse of the question, which I did, which I didn't even get to. Um, that's actually something I don't think I've ever tried. I don't think I've ever tried like playing it faster than it is, as a way to kind of like you know be swinging two bats as a way to practice, so to speak. Yeah, yes, uh, that's really that's a really interesting thing. I actually hadn't really ever ever considered that. That's that's kind of um, cool. I, maybe I should try that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it works. It works for myself. I I didn't invent it. I remember reading it somewhere. I can't. I don't. I can't. I can't properly credit. But yeah, the the guitar player, um, if they're working on a riff and they're not getting it, play it faster for them. Like speed it up and get them to play it at that speed for like I don't know five six times, and then go back to the actual tracking sessions, and they'll just nail it. I gotta say that is like thinking about it now that is a sort of like a little bit the difference between me and and mick Barr. if like you know we're at practice and you know like lev's maybe having trouble playing something the way we want him to or something i'll always be the more like musician guy and be like all right let's let's play it slow let's get it right and speed it up you know do it that way mm-hmm. and mick's always like no, no no let's just blaze through it it doesn't matter that it's not the right time signature. let's, let's <laughs> just play it whatever let's feel it out Right, and you know, I'll be frustrated for like a split second, and then I'll be like, "No, no, no he's right. Like, it, it's that isn't the only way to do things. Like, music is not is not rules. You know, it's it's art." Mm-hmm. I I personally can't explain it. Yeah. I mean, you've been doing it forever, and like, here we are. We're talking about it, and you know, it's uh, just keep them playing. Just keep them playing. Yeah, exactly. That's really, it. You could do, you could do the approach like this, where hey, it's easy. just play the riff, just play it, play it, play it right. <laughs> Right, yeah, like like don't don't sweat maybe the detail that's hang, that's getting you hung up. Like yep. let's just let's just make some music and if it's not perfect, like, you know, it's possible that it'll work itself out in a way that we hadn't mm-hmm. anticipated. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Or maybe like the intended way you wanted it to sound and the way it's coming out, maybe they're different, but maybe the way it's coming out isn't actually worse. It's just not how you intended, so it's kind that's of freaking you out at the moment. Oh yeah. Yeah, th- yeah, I never thought of it like that too. That's but good, that's totally good. valid. All right, um, I'm uh, I'm a little lost. I, I'm a, my big sausage fingers can't even hold a pick. You're the best at riffs I'm in this lost. room. Well, I'm lost. Uh, listen, but uh, Lord Camel Pants the Third, shout to Camel him. Camel Pants, our, yeah, Lord uh, Camel ooh, Pants. Camel Pants the Third. Yeah. Well, Lord yeah. Camel, Camel Pants. Pants. Yeah. Lord Camel Pants would Camel actually Pants. be this man's grandfather. He's Lord Camel Pants the Third. Right. Uh, shout wow. to him and his support of our Patreon right page. On. I'm wearing camel pants right now, but it's laundry day. You know, I was going to bring this up later, Justin, but you actually have camel pants with Jake the Snake Prince socks. Yeah, I got snake socks on. Yeah, And it works beautifully with your Thank green you. cephalic carnage shirt. Thank you so that much. That was our Justin's wardrobe uh, breakdown <laughs> of the episode. That's it, like a recurring theme on our shows. It lately. comes in randomly. He's fly. He's fresh. Give him credit. He's one of the young guys out there looking fresh on, uh, on the gram. Uh, doing it for the grandma. Hold on to but, your girls. Uh, but listen, Lord Camo Pants the Third. I'm engaged. Uh, <laughs> lots of talk about Camo Pants, but also Lord Camo Pants the Third says lots of talk on Edenic past. Uh, what's going on musically in the last third 
of Politkovskaya, if I said that right. Uh, and then just a note, he said, you guys should have him and bass player Nicholas McMaster on. And shout out to Nick McMaster, uh, old local friend from the local metal community here in New York, and I would love to have him on the show one day. we got to set it up. Um, but, yeah, back to the question with Edenic Past. Uh, he wants to know specifically what's going on musically in the last third of Politkovskaya. All right, well, I was really hoping he was going to ask what pants I'm wearing, but oh well. <laughs> no, 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 I, I'll ask it. Yeah, what, what do you got on? I, you, I actually got myself, I, I, my like my normal sweatpants were totally worn out, so a couple oh, months ago I, 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 I went on uh, incantation.com and got some nice incantation sweatpants. So I basically looked like a death metal, uh, like, like, like I'm training here with the with the sweatshirt and these sweatpants yeah. for the last like nine months yeah bro i i got <laughs> i'm wearing a vomit remnant shirt and blue sweatpants and guys verified to, to the listeners there's a hole in them there is a hole um yeah right yes. there i got that while doing mine, mine are too new to have a hole so yeah well, i mean you got them but we'll get there yeah you got the anti- uh, incantation garb that's good look i was actually yeah. looking at a pair of their basketball shorts recently mm. um uh, wearing a Frightmare shirt. doesn't matter. Yeah. Let's get back into uh, Lord Cowpants. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, enough about yeah. So, so enough about the pants. Uh, <laughs> listen, I, this is actually the third time I'm going to ask you what's going on musically in the, la- <laughs> in the last third of Politkovskaya. Okay. I just brought up the Bandcamp page because I'm trying to remember what, how that song goes. Let's see. Yeah, I was wondering if you would if you would specifically know this with all of the output you've done this year. Like, oh, okay, yeah, no, I know what he's talking about. Um, yeah, because uh, like with a lot of stuff, but especially with that record, you know, the titles get it's just numbers, and then eventually, it, like in the last minute, it gets titles, and I'm like, wait, which one was which? Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, well, I, I think he's probably asking what's happening with the guitar because there's not really anything different with the bass, yeah. uh, drums, or vocals there, but. Um, wait, is this the one? Oh, okay, no, no, this isn't the one I thought he meant. But, but yeah, this is a a, a little bit a little bit similar. So yeah, all that is in the guitar is um, I'm just playing a melody with all tapping, uh, okay. and it's two it's two harmonized parts between the the left and the right guitar, and the the tone, um, which maybe he's asking more about that, is. Uh, for for the whole record, I used the kind of like early '90s Scott Burns Morris sound um, type tone. I used the, the Marshall valve state, you know, zero mids, bass on ten, treble on ten, contour on ten. Uh, and for a couple moments on the album, that moment included, I mixed in just a little bit of the pure DI of the guitar. So you're hearing like no amp no distortion blended with that very sort of like brutal death metal sound um with some delay on it i think uh so that's kind of what maybe gives it like a little bit more of like a keyboardy sound there's one other song earlier on the record i think it's maybe the third song or something it's one of the other kind of spacey guitar parts which is um just clean direct guitar with no distortion and lots of reverb it's it's interesting because while you talk about um, that just now, you reminded me of uh, a lot of people, myself included, when they first hear this, the Artificial Brain studio recording of um, Absorbing Black Ignition, uh, I, I myself thought that it was some sort of an organ or synthesizer at the end of the song, where, where it's actually a guitar that's kind of processed with that sound. 
Oh yeah, I, I, if I remember correctly for that one, we used a octave pedal that I have, the, the POG, which is like, has a low mm. octave and a high octave. Yeah. So it yeah. gets you this kind of organy sound, and then there, there was probably some other effects too, some delay or something else. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely like uh, it, using... I, I've been really into using direct guitar, like not with an amp simulator, like actually direct, like pure yeah. electric guitar sound. Um, on on a lot of records over the over the past bunch of years, because you can get this sound that almost like enters that realm of of synthesizers. It, it it sort of recalls that, even though it's actually more what the instrument sounds like than <laughs> than the shit with all the distortion. Yeah, I think people might be taken a little back when they hear that, like because I I can't think of another instance. Now that you're telling us how you do that, I can't think of another instance of uh of a, of an album that has just DI guitar. With effects and skipping the fancy IR and cat, you know amp simulation shit. So, yeah, if anybody's if anybody's curious, the um, the Zazraug album, the the black metal album that I did this year, uh, that album has no amps and no microphones on it. Hmm. That's insane. Damn. That's a, wow. Yeah, that's so insane so thing. both the both guitars are just a metal zone plugged straight in. And the bass is a big muff straight in, no amp. <laughs> and the drums are all finger drums. And I don't sing on it. It's all sampled vocals. So there's no <laughs> uh, amps and there's no microphones. Interesting. Man. And that's spelled X-A-Z-R-A-U-G. Did I get that right? Yep. Yep. That's it. Yeah. That's um, and, it, and I might just reading from my notes of uh, a lot of your different projects. It's it's I wrote beautiful droning uh, kind of post black metalish uh, type stuff. Uh, I don't know if you'd concur with that uh, assessment. Uh, sure. I mean, it, like I just kind of thought of it as you know what? It's funny. I thought of that as my normal black metal album, and then <laughs> it just every, every every time I do that, it, it it doesn't come off the way that I that I think it is. But I, that was actually one of the few times where I tried to write simple music on purpose. Mostly, well, I just don't give it a second thought. I just write whatever comes out. But on that one, I was just like, I'm going to make something that's actually kind of dumbed down. <laughs> it, well, it, to, to me, it actually sounds um, it sounds highbrow, but that's where we meet in the middle. Uh, no, it's got it's got a very, uh, all kidding aside, it's got a very majestic, atmospheric kind of feel. I enjoyed it. I sampled a lot of, I kind of went on a Colin binge today and yesterday with a lot of these projects. So I know a little bit about what you're talking about. I feel like we need a. Well, also I, I gotta say, like I don't mean to disparage it at all by saying dumb down. I mean that's like I don't mean that in any kind of like a negative way. Um, but but what it what it kind of led led to was giving space to all the non-metal stuff on it mm -hmm. to have like a lot more room. So all the keyboards and all the sampled uh, vocals and sampled textures and stuff. I really got to like you know make space for that stuff because most of the time the music i write is really dense and there's not like a whole lot of extra room for like fun stuff so i was like no this is going to be the fun stuff album it's all it's gonna be all about that when when you say um oh shit i lost myself here i had like three questions while you were talking i'm sorry um but when uh Shit, I'm sorry, Colin. I lost my train of thought. Tom's got to edit this to me. You guys smarter. should ask me multiple questions at the same time. I think that yeah. would be kind yeah, of... Yeah, pass, pass me it. the other sheet. Okay, so that What's was... What's your favorite metal zone? How are you doing? <laughs> did, what year makes... What, did Boss do it? Yeah. 
Did you get the Digitech death metal pedal? Did you uh, Did you like it? Did you throw it out? <laughs> Do you ever order from Sweetwater.com? Is Shelby your representative? Do you guys, He's uh, I, I, got, I have Carl. He's very nice. Did you guys right. listen to the, um, the Richard Christie prank phone calls on Howard Stern? Yes. <laughs> Shout to Rick from Gray Skies, Fallen, and Buckshot Facelift, and, and all my bands. Uh, and he, you, know, you know Rick. Uh, he's of a course. big yeah. He's 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 definitely played me those. R- Richard Christie actually, uh, a- apparently, allegedly in real life, a pretty cool, down to earth guy. Um, I- I've met him. He's he's hilarious and 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 awesome. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, Rick Rick has uh, Rick. I guess ran into him kind of just like a man on the street in New York City years ago, um, uh, and you know was like, oh, Richard Christie. I, you know, I guess whatever had some exchange about you know being a fan of Death and of Richard's work and stuff like that. And Richard was. Oh, from all I know, he kind of kept in touch, and he's been supportive over the years. Good guy. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. But, yeah, one of, one of my favorite uh, Richard Christie prank phone calls is where he he samples his voice in advance saying different words. And then uh, I think he's, like, calling an old lady about, a, a, a you know, a, a, like a, a, a garage sale she's having. Yeah. And he'll, like, ask for one item and play himself saying another item at the same time, and she gets yeah, really confused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just the first time I heard that, I it was just like, oh, it, oh my god, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. And and it, I mean, it's like his shit goes nowhere. It's just repetitive. It's just the same yeah. thing over and over again. But that's kind of its genius too. Is that it? Just it's like mind numbing. Well, what's funny about you saying that is you just reminded me of the question I forgot that got us talking about Richard Christie, um, the vocal sampling. You say that you sampled vocals for the. What what does that mean? Because I'm. I, you know, I'm the vocalist of my projects. I look at it as like these guys give me an instrumental, and I have to write the lyrics and the vocal patterns to it. Take me through what exactly it means to have sampled vocals on a release. Okay, so yeah, this actually totally relates to the Richard Christie thing because one thing that I've uh, been really into um, for a long time is just kind of playing two things at the same time, whatever those two things may be that aren't maybe supposed to go together. And you know, sometimes it's just hilarious. Other times, it's you know, it's sometimes it's more successive, successful. Sometimes it's less successful. But um, a lot of times at Kralis practice, we got into this fun thing of just putting on multiple YouTube videos at the same time, like multiple albums at the same time, multiple songs at the same time. I have this whole series on my YouTube channel where I make super groups, where I take like isolated drums from one band, isolated bass from another band, isolated guitar and isolated vocals, and put them all together. <laughs> I've heard actually. All right, real quickly, I've heard about this. I've never experienced or, or witnessed it, but the guys from Pieron told me all about this years ago, and I was like, "That's that sounds like Colin. I wish I was there for that. There, there you go. So, yeah, I actually started recording them. So I've got two two up on YouTube now, and actually I just made a third one today that's going to that's gonna drop in three hours, right at midnight. Wow. Uh, it's, a, it's a birthday present for Mick. His, his birthday is tomorrow. Happy birthday, Mick. Wow, happy, happy birthday. birthday to him. As I said... We're obviously recording this at an earlier date, but this is our special New Year's Eve bonus. Happy New Year. Uh, so yeah, the 15th so is what I'm talking about. Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah, so that should be out. Happy birthday to Nick. And happy you birthday. can spend the rest of your New Year's Eve looking up all this stuff until the wee hours of the morning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that we're talking about. It's, so, yeah, yeah, it's, so got to be damn to the, uh, Getting back to the question, um, yeah. doing all this layering stuff, you know, mostly like as, as kind of a, a somewhat of a comedy thing, also, like, I would get into, like, you know, layering different ambient music and, 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 and doing it in a way that was, like, less silly. Um, 
And then, you know, there's also kind of a, a rich tradition in black metal of kind of like layering, sampling classical music and layering it in. I mean, I know uh, maybe this is like a more recent, obvious example, but like Despel Omega or um, I'm trying to think of a, of a better example. But, but you know, it, it, it's if it's not a keyboard intro that the band did, sometimes they'll like sample like a, a creepy classical piece and that's the intro, or maybe it happens in the middle of a song or something. So I just was like, okay, what if I could kind of combine that vibe and then this layering thing where I find some stuff that kind of sounds like it really fits, some stuff that kind of contrasts what I'm doing and just mess around and see what I come up with. Um, so, I used it. I started out by mostly sampling non-vocal stuff, and then once I got into some of the Tibetan chant samples, that kind of gave me the idea to try the Bulgarian uh, women's choir stuff, which is music that I was like totally obsessed with in high school. This um, these kind of like 20th century interpretation interpretations of traditional Bulgarian folk music. That's just some of the most beautiful. Uh, all vocal music that I that I've ever heard, and so there there's also this other album that I grew up really liking by uh, Brian Eno and David Byrne called My Life in a Bush of Ghosts, which is they made an instrumental album and then all the vocals on it are samples, and so that like one of the songs for example is like a is like a preacher uh, giving a sermon like very emotively, and another one might be like samples of um, of like uh, Arabic language vocals um i can't remember exactly like what type of thing they're doing but the point is like for every song they kind of like picked a lead singer that was just something that already existed and layered it on top of the music they made and then maybe edited it and cut it up and and and, and altered it to to make it you know really musical but i just loved that idea of like this kind of like serendipitous union of stuff that was never meant to be together, but actually sounds really cool. Um, so that just kind of sent me down this this rabbit hole of like finding different vocalists that I could put on top and, you know, using sort of like Western European chant in one place and the Bulgarian folk music in another place and some uh, Mesopotamian, like uh, Sumerian vocals in other places. Um, and yeah, it, it ended up turning into something really interesting. So I'm, I'm curious to to now make another record and go go even further and try different different combinations huh. like that. Right. And I think it kind of makes it like a little bit because the music isn't like so exceptional is the wrong word, but it's like the music isn't like really anything new. I mean, it's like kind of stuff that we've heard before, right? It's pretty traditional, but I felt like not having the traditional black metal delivery and only having sung vocals and not having them be all the time kind of set it apart and made it something like a little bit more unique. So I like that about it. All right. Yeah, it sets it apart a little bit. Um, and and uh, moving along, we just have uh, two more Patreon questions. Um, DJ Potter asks, on your studio's website, it says you've worked with Glenn Bronca. And uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna spell this name so I don't mispronounce it. R H Y S C H A T H A M Rice Chatham. Uh, yeah, Reese Reese Chatham. Yeah, Reese Chatham. Can you talk about your experience with them and what the projects were? Uh, admittedly, Colin, I don't know who either of those artists are. Okay. Yeah. Um. 
Good, great question. Um, so both of them are similar in that they both kind of developed these guitar, electric guitar orchestras, and they're both uh, New York, um, kind of like started in the, the early 80s no wave New York scene, um, and then gradually developed this more like, you know, as bands like Swans kind of went more in this industrial and then more in this kind of like epic rock direction, uh, Bronca and Chatham went more in this um, 20th century classical direction. And even though they still had like a drummer playing a beat, the, the rest of the music was just this like ocean of like tons of guitar players, everywhere from like five guitar players up to a hundred. Both Bronca and Reese Chatham have hundred guitar symphonies. Wow. Um, and so, okay, so the Bronca thing was actually interesting because it was a really long time ago. It was even before I had the current studio. It was back when I was in Pain Cave in 2004, 2005. Um, I had become friends with uh, Weasel Walter, who I played with in Arctopus and still play with in, in Sanitrack. Um, and he was brought in to produce the recorded version of Glenn Bronca's 100 Guitar Symphony. And it was an interesting story because they went to this, you know, zillion dollar an hour film scoring studio, you know, a place that was big enough to have a hundred guitar players, the fucking hundred amps. Wow. Um, and it's crazy. And they, he had like a big joke. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm saying it's like a joke. Like, yeah, I have a hundred amps. Like it's just, (laughs) yeah, no, it's, it's, I mean, they're all, they're all practice amps, but, but still, I mean, fucking imagine plugging in a hundred amps yeah it's gnarly <laughs> just just powering them <laughs> it's huge uh, so yeah i guess what happened was they they tracked the whole piece but bronca uh, had a disagreement with the studio engineers about how to mic it and they were like we're gonna mic this the way we mic music and it's like we put up this many mics and that's how we do it and he was just like no i want you to do it this way i want you to mic each section so that i can balance them in the mix like pretty straightforward right they wouldn't do it <laughs> it reminds me of uh it reminds me of Piron's story about their first album when they were like telling the mix engineer hey can you make the bass a little bit louder and he's like no i can't i won't i will not make the bass louder <laughs> uh, it's a fader that can go louder <laughs> so unfortunately he got this recording he was like not sure if it was going to work and they needed to find somewhere to mix it that was gonna be, you know, affordable. So Weasel's like, all right, you know, Colin's a good engineer. He's like, he's he's cheap. Like I, at the time I was probably only charging like 15 bucks an hour or something. And um, so they brought me this, this huge recording. It was like in 96K and my interface couldn't handle that. So I had to borrow an interface and, you know, do all this shit. And I was so excited because I was a huge fan of his music. Um, and then he came in for I think just one session and we like listened to it for like, I don't know, 10 minutes, half an hour. It doesn't matter. Like barely any time. And he was like, nope, unworkable. Uh, forget it. The recording's ruined. And, and then like he left and he was just like, Colin, you have to delete it. <laughs> like I wasn't even allowed to keep a copy just to be able to listen to. He's just like, no, this recording is over. Jeez. So it was, uh, it was totally shelved. Wow. Um, unfortunately. Um, I think after that, it did get a recording that did come out, but actually I'm not sure. I would have to go look. Wow. Uh, okay. All right. So that was that story. Uh, the Reese Chatham story is actually totally different. Um, 
He's, I'm pretty sure he's from here, but he's been living in France for quite a while. And um, there's a band, Oneida, that I work with a lot, which is a really, really awesome, interesting, unique uh, rock band that incorporates a lot of improvisation and has a really cool way of making records. Um, so they did a collaborative record with Reese uh, Chatham. I think they may have gotten like booked for a performance. So they're like, okay, let's sort of like write an album. And when they write stuff, it's, it's, it's kind of like looser than the way like, you know, my bands or Artificial Brain or whatever would write a song. It's, it's, it's not like everything's super specific, but they might have like an idea and that's the song. Mm-hmm. Um, so they actually came to my studio with Reese and tracked the whole album and then I think he went back to France and maybe did some overdubs and sent those in. And then we we mixed it and, and finished it here. So that was kind of like, you know, more or less a, a straightforward record, but kind of like a cool collaboration with this band I was used to working with and him as, as like a collaborator guest. And right. I can't remember the name of that record, but if you look up Oneida and Reese Chatham, it'll, it'll come up. I think it's on Bandcamp. Okay. All right. Um, that's, that's, I learned uh, something interesting there. Um, and finally, our last Patreon question. We have a few questions from other platforms coming up, but um, uh, oh, past guest of the show, uh, metal and uh, all-around music journalist Hank Steamer. Uh, you can go back and check wow. out our interview Hank. with him. Yeah, Hank's the man. Yeah, um, good guy. I haven't talked One to him in a while. Yeah, hope he's doing well. And again, like I said, we have a whole episode interviewing him. He came out here uh, long before the whole COVID thing. Um, people could look that up. Uh, his experience uh, writing about metal, uh, working for, uh, amongst other uh, publications, Rolling Stone and things like that. Uh, he says, first off, uh, what's up, HHP crew and Colin? What's up, Hank? Uh, he says, I have a fairly simple question, something I've always wondered about. Colin, you and I have talked about all kinds of music over the years, but since so much of what we covered has been of a more esoteric variety, I don't know <laughs> much about your history with some of the basic food groups of metal. I remember last time I was at the studio, you busted out an Injustice for All riff like it was Mary Had a Little Lamb. So here we go with the here's here's the Metallica talk. So Always I'm, back to Metallica, Metallica, Mormon yep. Angel, Metallica, Mormon Angel. So I'm curious, what is your history with Metallica? Were they important to you growing up, and have they remained important as you've delved further into the extreme metal underground? And he also wants to know the same about Black Sabbath. I love that Hank's just like, just to make sure if they didn't talk about Metallica that they will, let me get this question in here. <laughs> yeah, got to acknowledge It's a Metallica. thorough journalist, man. Yeah. Um, Metallica, uh, probably not a surprise, but super, super important to me uh, growing up. Um, definitely the first metal band I listened to. Really like the first heavy band, the first band that like used distortion. Um, that I liked and um, you know because of my age I was born in 82 so um, the Black Album was was the first one that I that I became aware of and heard and I remember um, vividly that my my brother had a cassette tape taped from his best friend who had a CD player we didn't get a CD player until later uh, that had on one side it had the Black Album and on the other side it had Off the Deep End by Weird Al (laughs) <laughs> and that was my fucking tape, man. That was like when I was, whatever year that was, 90 or 91, when I was eight or nine, um, that was that was just, I remember like putting it on in the bathroom a lot. I mean, you know, nobody has to be gross. But uh, <laughs> it just was like always on. 
Wow. Taking showers, listening to, you know, Of Wolf and Man, Through the Never, things like but that. The combination of Metallica and Weird Al speaks to some of the music you've put out. <laughs> well, what's funny is a lot of the songs on Off the Deep End, I was more familiar with the parody version than the actual version yeah. of the song. So I would like yeah. hear the actual versions later and be like, oh, that's that Weird Al song. <laughs> Yeah, I, I know. I know exactly. What Can't believe there's all these bands covering Weird Al. It's crazy. But oh. yeah, so then, so then, what happened was, um, you know, I grew up a little bit, and then especially when I started playing guitar, just a couple years later, uh, and got deep into music, I then found out about the Good Records, and and that same friend who he taped the uh, the the CDs from, I borrowed um, Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets, and Injustice for All from him his cds of them of, of those albums and and actually never gave them back i still have them good you should have kept track of his shit yeah as a matter of fact i believe you told that story in a little bit greater detail when we interviewed you the first time if people want to go back and check that out not not surprising <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no it was interesting to me because metallica was those records really spoke to me and i i think it was probably just because i didn't have any friends who were metalheads and both the grade school and the high school i went to were tiny there was just hardly any students at them that mm. i i didn't really like find you know like slayer for example until i was like later in later high school and i'd like already been through king crimson and universe zero and like all this dark prog stuff and then it was like oh slayer now instead of Slayer back when I was eight. So it was like Metallica I heard at that age, but all the other bands I didn't um, for whatever reason. And I remember like, I, I even just, yeah, like I didn't like distorted guitar when I first started playing guitar. I was really into REM and Talking Heads and all these bands that just played clean. Um, and I thought that was really cool. And I, I like, I, I remember like being really anti Nirvana being like, oh, that stuff's stupid. You know, like it's just like, not that it's just noise, but I just felt like it was really like unnuanced at the time. Um, mm. But for some reason, Metallica never had that effect on me. To me, it was like classical music. I was like, no, this is like beautifully orchestrated. These structures are amazing. Like everything was like apparent to me right right off the bat. Um, and yeah, so and then moving on to Black Sabbath, that was an interesting one because I had trouble getting into them at first. I'd hear them on the radio or whatever. I had trouble listening to them at first because I wasn't that down with the production. I wasn't that down with the way the instrument sounded. It didn't sound heavy to me. Um, the drums kind of sounded thin, like there was no room sound. It's very dry recording, not a lot of low end. Um, and it was kind of bluesy and I was really not into bluesy stuff. And still to this day, I kind of have trouble with bluesy stuff a little bit. Um, I, uh, I have I, much more of an appreciation for it now, but like, it never like was the thing that spoke to me. Like dissonance and darkness always spoke to me. Bluesiness has like been a tough sell. I get it. Uh, I've always been a huge Black Sabbath fan. The, the, the classic Ozzy years of Black Sabbath uh, did a lot for me as a kid, as a teenager. Uh, more so than I would say for Metallica, not taking anything away from Metallica, but just my personal experience of music. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I get it because... Well, I mean Oh, sorry. Go, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, you know, I've, I'm in some of my bands have younger people than me in them uh, and people who don't necessarily uh, have a lot of experience hearing Black Sabbath. And what I told someone once was you can't think of it as the 
first metal band or whatever, you got to think of them as like the hardest hard rock band or the darkest hard rock band kind of. Because like, because if you go into them having already gotten into thrash metal and black metal and death metal and you're later on in your life trying to appreciate Black Sabbath, uh, it's hard to look at it as metal, I think, for some people. Sure. And th- and that's totally fair. And, and what's interesting was at the same time, I did like Led Zeppelin, which is funny because they're oh, arguably s- even bluesier. Yeah, and they have, well, and they I, have I, more annoying, and they have a more annoying singer. I think they. I, well, I think Led Zeppelin actually like literally, allegedly stole more actual blues songs than Black Sabbath. Absolutely, absolutely. But for some reason, because of the way it sounded, because it had this, just I just loved the way, the sound of the drums. You know, I, lo- in, I, I love Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin. Yeah, yeah growing up, like I, to I, me. Yeah, I mean, growing yeah, it up, just, like that, the, that the shit sound spoke to me. Yeah, the sound of Led Zeppelin and the sound of Black Sabbath is very different. Like mm-hmm. I am I am way more into the sound of Led Zeppelin and I'm into the songwriting <clears throat> of Black Sabbath. If that makes sense. Yeah, but I, I, yes, I, I, yes, I, I think I agree. I, I mean yeah, I, and, but uh, I see it as like uh, you know like listening to like Muddy Waters blues, the old Mississippi Delta blues, the, the, the rough and toughness of that blues. I think I would argue Black Sabbath is more bluesy than Zeppelin. Oh yeah, just yeah. just from like like the, the the area they were growing up in, and, uh, and and the way some of those songs come across. Like Zeppelin's a little more flashier, which is not blues. Yeah, well, yeah. Zeppelin was like, right. I'm going to put a sock down my pants, and Black Sabbath was like, I'm going to get arrested. I already have. The, I already <laughs> have. I, I'm already. I'm already hanging dong, so I don't need to put this I mean, sock. Yeah. Like, look, Black, <laughs> yeah, we don't get. We don't need to get into the whole Black Sabbath. It's the, it's interesting. Though. The the Black Sabbath Led Zepp conversation <clears throat> could be its own episode. Yeah. Uh, no, totally. I, and, and and you're right. I mean, it's like arguably either one could could be considered bluesier. Like they each are kind of like bluesy in a, in a different way, but. Yeah, ultimately yeah. with Black Sabbath, like what it took for me was hearing the demo of the song Black Sabbath, which was like a bonus mm. track on like some Ozzy solo album that my brother had, I think. And that when I was like, you know, 12 or 13 or something, I heard that and I was like, okay, this is fucking awesome. So it was once again, it was the darkness and the dissonance that spoke mm-hmm. to me. And then it was like, I could kind of start to appreciate the other elements and it's like now i can kind of listen to any any of their albums and be like this is awesome um but still i like the sound of mob rules more than anything with bill ward on it you know it's weird i don't know why what that's bill ward's drumming is great but he doesn't have that like heavy tone that, it's interesting for me to hear because i always go back to the classic original lineup of black sabbath uh, and I pref- like when I think about when I was a younger, like 12, 13, whenever I first heard it and got into it, it was probably like Electric Funeral, uh, Symptom of the Universe, the more metal Black Sabbath songs like that I really remember. Like Electric Funeral is basically like a funeral doom song. Uh, yeah, and, and it has a yeah, very metal part. And "Symptom of the Universe" is basically a thrash metal song. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I mean, Ch- uh, "Children of the Grave." I mean, th- th- there's obvious yeah. like, mm-hmm. okay, this is like what led to like this whole type of metal. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's that, that's the shit I really appreciate. Well, now you can too. even go to. And the uh, thing is, I can even get in. I, I can even get into the production and the sound that I that I wasn't as into growing up. But it's just kind of the thing where it didn't it didn't like you know, hit me the same way right away or whatever. Like I had to kind of like, you know, learn to appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, I could do a whole episode about, I mean, and then you talk about Led Zeppelin on like presence. There was Ulysses last stand. 
Uh, you know, like like just the idea of that. Oh, Achilles' last stand. Achilles. Achilles yeah, thank you, Achilles' last stand. I'm not I'm not up on the mythology. I'm up on the rock and roll. <laughs> Um, but, <laughs> no, that, that song's amazing. I mean, that might be the best the best Led Zeppelin song. I but, love that. Song. But, well, just talking about that kind of like metal sound before it was like known to be metal or whatever. But we uh, we could go on all night. Yeah, yeah. Um, we get, I mean, we get ba- we get bab. You know, uh, we could we could do a bab stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, we uh, we could definitely do like a, a, an old classic uh, rock podcast. But this there's a segue here because right now we just finished up. Shout out to Hank Steamer. All of our Patreon questions. And, uh, Colin, we have a few more questions from other platforms, not as many as Patreon. Um, and our first question... I'm, I'm, in, I'm in for the long haul here. It's, it's all good. Awesome, awesome, because we got a lot of people that enjoy your music and support our podcast, and we want to we uh, make the connection. And this next one, we're in the 70s. We're in the 70s rock. Uh, Joe Fleetwood uh, at Joe Iniquitous Savagery on Instagram wants to know... Oh, what- nice. What's your opinion about quantized and sample replaced drums? <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> yeah, every, everybody knows my opinion if you've been tuning into the podcast. No, all seriousness. And, you know, there are bands that use that that I'm friends with and that I'm personal friends with. There are bands that use that that I enjoy their music mm-hmm. and I respect them. Uh, but I do speak often on the podcast about how as a fan, as a casual listener of metal, <clears throat> Um, you know, not judging anyone, but it's ne- not necessarily something I want to put on all the time. If it has that, if you can't tell the difference between the drummer or a drum machine in the yeah, first thirty there's, seconds, there's certain computers I'm friends with that you know yeah. have. have <laughs> drum- <laughs> yeah. Well, first of all, what's up, Joe? Um, I actually just uh, I just got to work on a uh, the new Iniquitous Sav- Savagery uh, single. Uh, the, okay. the, the new video coming out soon. Oh, there you go. Um, yeah. Okay. So those guys are great, and their music's awesome. And and uh, what's up? Um, so yeah, I'm uh, the quantized thing. I think is 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 really something that kind of bothers me because if if you're doing that, then just what's the point in even recording drums? Mm. You you might as well just throw in the towel and and, and use a drum machine. And it's not even throwing in the towel. It's like. I firmly believe that there's no rules in music and every sound is equally cool. But the problem with the the way that a lot of the modern metal is done with the combination of quantizing and sound replacing the whole kit mm. is that it it's like in this awkward middle ground between drummer and and non-drummer that I'm that it just bothers me because it's, it's like why if if that's the sound you want, you might as well achieve it in a way that's like more honest to what it actually is, which is just programming it. Yeah, right. like um, Superior Drummer Three. I mean, it yeah. sounds good. If yeah, that's what you want. More, I like Superior Drummer. Mortician yeah. did it. Nothing but, wrong yeah. with Mortician. The best thing about Superior Drummer is is working off the grid though and making it like a more human kind of sound. Yeah, thing, fucking up right? that. Maybe. And the thing is, yeah. and, the, and and the thing is, you you bring up Mortician. Okay, yeah. why is the drum machine in Mortician so awesome? Because it, I think it's like I think it's awesome, and it's I think it's pretty universally liked. You know, even though it's obviously fake it's the fakest shit ever 
but it's great because it's not supposed it's not pretending to be a person yeah, yeah. Well, again, at no we- point when you're listening to it are you like oh yeah that's a dude you're always just like this is a drum machine and it's doing exactly what i want a drum machine to do play really fast and then just get out of the way for a while right <laughs> um d- d- we brought that up a few times on the show. Another mm-hmm. example I love is Lymphatic Phlegm. I was just mm-hmm. going to say, yeah. Yeah, because that shit is like, I wouldn't want a drummer to play with Lymphatic Phlegm. <laughs> I just love the way that's just like, it's yeah. it's like, um, it's like, gr- like grading, gratingly fast and, yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, similar with every single, you know, 16th note is the same fucking thing. And it's just like, it, it mm-hmm. adds the atmosphere. Right, and so you've just proved that it's not that that isn't necessarily like a bad sound. It's just why did you approach it in this way that was the opposite of of that sound to get that sound? Well, um, I I always think why would you put this poor drummer through all those hours of rehearsal and sweating and performing in the studio if you're yeah. just going to quantize the sound replace snap it to, shit anyway. to a grid? Yeah, yeah. You know, like, well, and not to mention it does fucked up things to a musician's brain if if it's drilled into their head that this is the way music is made and this is the sound of drums in 2020. Like those are horrible things to be drilled into somebody's head. It's it's music. It's art. You should have fun. You should make something that's unique and personal and. Have it be awesome, and it doesn't matter what that is. It's just like this whole lying to your lying to yourself thing about skill, and like what what your instrument actually sounds like when you play it. That's that's the shit where I'm just kind of like I don't know if that's like sending great messages. And another thing is, I'll say like along the the lines of the really fake stuff and the mortician connection. One record uh, that I found just recently, which I'm totally obsessed with now, is the. Uh, the Grindbot project that Roger did. Do you guys know those records? No. Nah. No. Roger did, he did one album, I think a long time ago, and then one maybe five years ago, that's 100% programmed death metal. And the first one is all TV show and movie covers, which is hilarious. And then the second one is like original music, and the vocals are even programmed they're like the apple voice speech voice through a pitch shifter it's fucking genius wow all the guitar is midi guitar it's all programmed guitar programmed drums programmed guitar solos which are amazing (laughs) oh guitar kit from hell yeah yeah i've been been trying to work work on that i mean more power to roger i would never doubt him but it it all sounds perverse to me well he i mean look at mortician yeah it's like the, the it, it it makes sense, you know. Why not bring that to the next level? Like, yeah, I, I, I get it. Yeah. So, uh, Colin, and the had- thing is, when Mortician when Mortician goes and and gets a drummer because they you know they had a drummer originally and then came back to drums and he's played drums in the band and he's played guitar. You know, they've had like every permutation, but it when they have a drummer, they don't try to make the drummer sound like the drum machine. They're just like, no, this is a drummer. It'll sound like a drummer. You know, so it's just like okay, yeah. they yeah. they get it, they get it. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, have, have you ever been fooled by a project uh, with programmed drums that that you can't tell? And how do you feel about that with the, the that kind of gray area where it's it's programmed to sound like a real drummer, but you don't know if it is? I'm not sure if there's ever been a time where I was like, I'm not sure. I feel like I can I pretty much can always tell. I, I mean, if. If somebody wanted to like actually sit me down and, and quiz me, I'm sure there'd be something where I wouldn't where, where I wouldn't know if I wasn't familiar with the with the band. But um, I don't know. I mean, I've got engineer ears, and I, I'm, sure. I'm pretty pretty keyed into that stuff. 
Um, you know, usually the cymbals is the giveaway because even if something's uh, sampled drums and quantized, it's not sampled cymbals, so you can usually kind of tell. Um, For sure. Sure. But yeah, I mean, the, ultimately, it's like if it has that sound, and you guys know what I mean by that sound. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't matter if it's programmed <laughs> or played. It's just kind of annoying, and it's. It I just like, kind of yeah. like yearn. You're in for something like just cooler. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The only band that I really love despite that, and it's it's also because they, they credit the drummer as triggers instead of drums as vomit remnants. Oh. Oh yeah. Perfect. Perfect. That he, that band's amazing. He kind of he kind of made that his own sound with the with the triggers or whatever you call mm -hmm. it. You know? Well, I mean, and it's not death metal at all, but I, I want to bring it up just because I'm drinking out of a horn tonight. Okay, <laughs> but uh, the first animals is leaders record. Yeah, um, I've is never, that is that drum machine? I've never yeah. heard it. Flex. So that that first animals is leaders record is drum machine with uh, Misha Mansour from Periphery programmed all the drums while uh, him and Tosin both wrote. wrote I don't that think record. I've ever heard Periphery. I might have got it. So that you know that's cool. Yes. I always like the vibe when like a drummer comes in and programs instead of playing drums. Like well, that's kind of fun. I like well, that. Well, he's a guitar player. Yeah, it's two guitar Even better. players. It's yeah. two, yeah, it's two guitar players playing eight strings. So, oh, I didn't a, realize he was a guitar player. I, I don't really know that band. Yeah, so it's it's interesting because that that for me was one of the one of the first things I listened to, where I was really surprised that there wasn't a drummer on it. Um, it and and I, I like I don't have educated uh, producer ears at all or engineering ears, but it's it sounds natural in that sense. So I kind of became uh, very interested in that, like. Oh, where here's here's computer drums, but to you know, could it pass that musical Turing like test, Turing if you will? Yeah. yeah, you know, like um, yeah, and, you, it, yeah. And, it, and it's probably cool because it's kind of like you couldn't tell, but you didn't care. You know, it really yeah. that's that's the bottom line. I think it's like if the riffs are good, you, when yeah, it takes you out of the experience, and that's what so much of that modern metal sound like the problem I have with it is is that it kind of just takes me out of the musical experience for whatever yeah. reason and it's just my taste you know whatever like people that like it hey whatever I but think I think we've we're on this like pendulum swing like from from when that technology was new and we're all you know it's sounding very computerized uh, we're coming back to where it's it's trying to sound a little more natural you know uh, to where I the think there's like the there's kind of like that. every yeah, it see, almost seems like there's sort of like every way of sounding at the same time right now. Mm -hmm. Just because, like, don't, I mean, don't you guys kind of feel that way? Like, there's every subgenre of metal. There's every oh, yeah, style well. of production. I mean, sure, there's trends, but it's like, if if you want to look, spend enough time looking, like, you can find kind of like every approach to recording well, by a metal band. We've yeah. kind of been trying to cover uh, all the variety going on, and especially the modern scene. We talked recently with Alex Haddad from Desiderium I was just about, about the, yeah, yeah. the artisan era scene, those bands, and then also, you know, I mean, we've we've talked at length about the Maggot Stomp bands and the OSDM, and you know, you're right because it's like there's there, there's almost people who are trying to take that uh, sound replaced, quantized sound to the next level, and then there's also people that are kind of rejecting it for a more old school uh, approach. Um, that being said, I'll just say my personal opinion as just as, you know, like again, as a fan, as a listener, no judgment on people who do it. I think Superior Drummer is for perverts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's well. It's perverted. I love it. My headphones fell off. 
Um, <coughs> yeah, well, I'll take the opposite right now. Um, superior drums is for uh, superior drummer is for those who need it, and what you can do with it. Uh, shout out to Desiderium. Yeah. Album of the year for me, Shadowburn. Got to listen uh, to that. Yeah. Song. That's a great, that's a great I, record. I, I, I sat there and interviewed the guy. I'm a fan of Shadowburn. Look, I no, so yeah, shout, a shout out to Dangerous Thing. Uh, Look, uh, it's like Curry I said. Drummer, Paula Bugunzelan, you know, I'm not, you know who it I'm is. I'm not judging anybody, but it's like, you know, you're, you're, you're not being really upfront about the fact that it's not a human drummer when it sounds like that. <laughs> it's in Listen. the credits, Will. How much more? That's right. Check got, the thank you notes. We got thank more you. questions. Thank you, computers. Uh, yeah, fuck the computers. <laughs> uh, we got another question. Speaking of computers via Instagram. What if, what if I run my computers through just a straight up, like, death metal pedal? Like, into into my into my thing. Yes, yeah, why 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 aren't more of these bands doing that? Like like just getting oh just one percent more creative with it. Like you know fucking processing the the drum machine so it just sounds like a little less typical. Or like using like maybe just like not standard drum sounds. You know I don't know. Like just can one band try that? <laughs> Tom, Tom and I talked one time about uh, like programming drums in superior running each channel out to an individual speaker and then miking in the middle of the room while he's playing and then having oh, kind that of getting like a like a chamber reverb uh, exactly kind of that, yeah, yeah and, then, and then putting that back in that yeah, was exactly that was not, a drunk not idea to say but... i'm gonna sweat as much as a drummer but the, no. the results might be very interesting it would be fun to watch that happen that's yeah. yes what I'm saying. <laughs> okay i'm sorry well next don't apologize to me apologize to fraser mcdonald <laughs> I, I was reading his question. Fraser, you got a sick band, uh, apparently. Mr. McDonald. Uh, I can't Fraser, hear. Sorry, Fraser, on behalf of Fraser, listen. Uh, Fraser McDonald. Ten more dollars and I'll stop talking. Loyal. Is, yeah, well, on that note, Fraser, we wouldn't have interrupted your question if you had left it on Patreon. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you left. Guaranteed non-interruption. Yeah, if you, leave your, if you leave your question on Instagram or Facebook, we might, we might have to talk over it. Yeah. No, seriously, Fraser McDonald from Instagram said, uh, and I'll let this question go because it's a little bit different from your how do you do all the projects question. Is 2020 the year with the most projects going at once? And he, and then he adds, and how in the fuck did that Incenithrak record even get written? So is 2020 the year with the most projects at once? And maybe just describe a little bit, uh, just try to humanize the Incenithrak process. A- absolutely. So, so, yeah, I think for sure it is the year with the most uh, projects. I mean, of, of my own music, um, and that's just because with the pandemic and stuff, I've um, just been doing all these solo albums and, and remote collaborations and stuff, and that sure. has generated uh, how many new projects? Well, you um, sent me like twenty links, right? But some of those were pre-existing projects. Oh yeah, but some like of them are kind of like, is new. Yeah, yeah. Growth is new, Aurelsium is new, Movie Review is new, and my classical music site is new. So, um, oh, and Edenic Past is new. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so a bunch of a bunch of new projects came out of it um, for sure. Um, so the Incentrack album has had a, a long uh, <clears throat> a long trajectory. We we actually tracked the drums. We did all the basic tracking over two years ago. Uh, wait, was it two years? Yeah, it was like February of 2018. Um, and then, so yeah, might as well just fucking spill all the beans with this band. So the first album is fully improvised. Everybody's playing together and that's it. Uh, the new one, 
we rec- oh, but the vocals are overdubbed. Um, the new one we recorded the same way, so it was me and Mick and Weasel playing together. But then we deleted almost all the improvised guitars, and I went back and actually wrote guitar to the improvised drums. So it okay. actually is a written album. Um, it's just that it was started with uh, improvised drums. Okay. Um, and then I handed that off to Mick, and he did his guitar part, and then we got Paulo in. Or maybe we even had Paulo in like halfway through, and then Mick finished his parts. Um but that was just a very, very long process because, you know, as anybody can hear listening to the album, I mean, it, there's not a single repeat on it. It's just a stream for 42 minutes of very fast, non-repeating stuff. So it just took a long time for me and him to actually go through and, and, and write shit for all that. Okay. All right. Um uh, Colin, can, can you give me one minute? I actually, I think this might be the first time I've had to pause the interview to take a piss. Absolutely, I'm cutting. I'm cutting yeah. right here. Right. Don't worry, dude. Yeah, I, I'm. I have a pretty. We need, strong... we need that like Monty Python intermission music. <clears throat> it, well, I love I'm, it. I have like a balloon-like bladder, and usually these guys are the ones that got to do it. But I got to tap out. I think yeah. for the first time in heavy holy. Yeah, I, I thought I was going to need to take a piss, but I'm uh, actually holding up. Hold on, Will. Uh, Will, what number do you have to go right now? At this point in the shutdown, so. <laughs> What number you have to go right now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I said piss, but we all know what's really going to happen out there in the woods. All right, cool. I, I've been peeing the entire time. <laughs> No, you guys. Just an Austin Powers like steady stream. Yeah, yeah. yeah I yeah. just walked in now. It was wild. Oh, that's, you may have me. to get that checked out, but I'm glad that we're back. I'm done. So when I when I get really like when I laugh a lot, I go ha. That's true. You might you might have heard that. So <laughs> put put the, uh, Tom uh, cut that one second clip on the Patreon, please. Gotcha. Thank you. All right, cool. So next up on our uh, questions from Instagram is from David Geller. And he says, I messaged Kralis, the Kralis Facebook a couple of years ago to ask what the guitar tunings were. And I was told your guitar tuning was in a weird drop A tuning. Hmm. How did you come up with this tuning? And for which projects do you use it? Good question. Um, yes, it, it is kind of a drop A tuning, but it's weirder than that. Because I don't drop the whole guitar. I just drop the... Um, two lowest strings and a lot. So what would be the low E is a low A, like the open A on a bass. Okay. And then mm-hmm. the the next string where the A string would be is the, is the normal low E of the guitar. Uh, and then the normal A stays. That's that's unchanged. And then the higher strings, the high E and the B are unchanged. And the G, I tune up a half step to G sharp. <laughs> Wait, how many strings so, you were? You, 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 still six. It's just, yeah, still, uh, still I, went, six? I went out of order. I went out of order. Talk, it's just I, six. Are we you're on about a six. The one yeah, guitar six. or the regular no, guitar? No, you're on a What's six. Right? Regular guitar. Well, uh, yeah, what, how, why? Yeah, how? How and why? How, why? How, did you, how did you come upon this? Did yeah. you invent this or did you find this in some other musician's work? I invented it, but I invented it by accident. So the story was, it was, uh, I think the year 2000 and I just moved to New York 
and I was sitting in the dorm room and I was, you know, obsessed with neurosis. And I was like, I want to learn some riffs from Through Silver and Blood. What tuning are they in? <laughs> so I was like, okay, it seems to be that the lowest string is A. <laughs> so I tuned my E all the way down to A, and it was just completely slack, you know. Yeah, and I blah, and then I blah, tuned blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I tuned the the A string down to E. And by detuning those strings that much, it really it, I had a cheap two hundred dollar guitar, and it freaked out the G, and the G went up. And so that was it. I tuned down those two low strings, and then all of a sudden I had the tune. Um, Did you have a floating bridge on that? No, it was a fixed. It was yeah. Fixed. Okay. I haven't. Uh, I've actually only started playing floating bridge once I got that uh, that Ironbird um, about f five or six mm, years ago. Um, nice. uh, before that, I was like a through and through fixed bridge kind of guy. I was like, "What do you need a whammy bar for?" Now I just like can't get enough. They're the best. Uh, aren't they? Yeah, there's. Mm. Oh, I'm totally obsessed now. But um, so, uh, so I'm glad that I didn't try to figure out the alternate tuning originally on one, because that would have been a pain in the ass. Oh, fuck that. No, no fucking way, dude. I have hard <laughs> enough time tuning a, a Floyd Rose daily. I, I, yeah, uh, when I, when yeah. I first got that guitar, the first two things I did were I got rid of the active pickup, put in a passive, and I set it up for my weird tuning. So, so yeah, the, the, the rest of that question is that that is the only tuning I use, and I've been using it for 20 years. Um, <laughs> and I use it for for everything. Every single thing what? that I play guitar on what? is you using kidding? that tune. What are you, what, really? Insanity. Yep. That's, ev it. that's for everything that it. you write ever? Yes, 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 that's great. Not, that's not Gorguts, because I was writing for Luke and Kevin. So okay. that one I wrote on a standard tuned, no, sorry, not standard. Uh, Luke tunes down a major third. So on his seven string, his lowest note is G, actually, which is super fucking low. Yeah, one, um, why not? There, yeah. Why, you know, why not? So, so yeah, that's, might, that's, might that's, well. the, uh, that's the tuning that uh, Forgotten Arrows was written in. Wow. But but all, all of like my my bands where I actually play guitar are in my weird tune. Okay, okay. just where you play guitar. And to, not, right. and to make it even more fucked up, nobody else uses my tuning so in yeah. both Kralis, Dysrhythmia and Gorguts, all three of those bands none of us are in the same tuning wow kind of rude I you guys, love you guys, yeah I just love I love here? that so much I just love it that, that's, that's it that's what's going on because I mean, as as a guitar player I hate learning other people's songs <laughs> and I have I have a Floyd Rose with a locking bridge so I can't tune the different things so thank you so much never gonna learn your shit <laughs> so yeah, you, now, you, now you don't have to. You're off the hook. You're like, so oh, fun. I'm not going to yeah. retune that. Fuck it. I'll just never learn it. Yeah, exactly. So th I, I'm I safe. Mean, and, and that's amazing. It's um, yeah, that's that's a revelation. I mean, it's uh, like finding your own tuning like that, or enough to where somebody's asking a question about it, and just listening to it. We all know it's weird, and now we know why. Um, and it's heavy as shit. I love it. But I mean, kind of, kind of the funnest thing about it, and I think that's the thing that's the least typical, is because I just tune down the low strings and not the high strings. It almost is kind of like the war guitar, where I have kind of like a set of low strings and a set of high strings. You know, the three wound strings are all low, and the three unwound are all very high. Mm -hmm. So the annoying thing about it is that there's this whole middle register of the guitar that's missing. <laughs> so. For certain riffs, I have to play like super high up, like the 15th, 17th, 20th fret, you know, on the low strings. So it gets pretty wacky, and I've had to like 
you know, make sure my intonation isn't fucked because it huh. usually gets more fucked up there. Um, and mixed guitars, uh, intonations are always kind of weird too. So like, we have a lot of moments in Kralis where we're not really like in tune with each other. But hey, you know, like Abbas, it doesn't have to be perfect, right? It's Maybe it's better. It's yeah. art. It's art. It's the environment. What are you creating? All right. So we have, uh, we actually, <laughs> that's what I've been saying to my people. Yeah. Um, they're like, Justin, get in tune. I'm like, mm. no. Nah. Environments. Okay, so one one question from Twitter over here. Mm. This is the last question of the evening, unless I wait. Twitter been... actually asked me a we, question. I a I'm honored. Facebook. Oh, Facebook. I'm sorry. Um, we had, well, we had two. Well, here's what's gonna happen. We'll okay. we'll we'll do the Twitter question and then we'll move on to Facebook. Um, okay. And the Twitter question is actually from the necrosexual. <laughs> That's it. Oh, the necrosexual. Fuck yeah. Mm. Yeah, dude. He's awesome. I, I I know I know him well. Well, not maybe not well, but I know him. Yeah, well, I loved I loved his interview with Vomitor. Yeah, he shout to the Necrosexual YouTube channel if people listening want to check that out. I did an interview with him a few weeks ago. Uh, I an enjoyable process. A great great man, the Necrosexual. Yeah, and I suppose he's trying to find out more about you, laying down the grounds for an interview uh, with this question. Uh, what are some of your favorite bass effect pedals to use? Mm. Good question. Um, the pedal that I basically never turn off, it's on all the time. <clears throat> it's my, my, my base, uh, like overdrive pedal, I guess, is this M Morley uh, distortion, wah, and volume all in one pedal. And it's a total piece of crap. I've, I've on my like fifth or sixth one. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's like a hundred bucks. Um, the wah, it's the worst wah pedal I've ever heard in my life. Yep. The volume pedal mm -hmm. sucks because it like won't stay where you put it. Nope. And it's like, it's just really poorly made. But the mm -hmm. distortion is, I fucking love it. It's my favorite bass distortion. I even use it for, uh, guitar a lot too. Um, cause it has this, this thing that most distortion pedals don't have where it doesn't kind of like mush the attack. Uh, it, it's a very sharp, clear attack that almost sounds clean, but it gives you all the compression um, and like leveling of the high and the low strings that you would get playing through a heavy distortion. So, I mean, playing, uh, playing a six string bass, you're dealing with a pretty large register. So, you know, making sure that like you don't only hear the low strings and the, and the high strings don't come out, it's a great way to kind of like get more uniformity across the neck. Um, and I just like the, 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 the sound really kind of like cuts through a mix well. And I end up using some variation of that pedal pretty often when working on other people's records too. Even if it's like using the, running it through that pedal with like the distortion all the way on zero, you know, to get like basically a clean sound, but just like a little bit of filtering and compression. It's right. really great for that. So it, if I had to pick one, that's gotta be it. That's a, yeah, that sounds like a good thing to have in the arsenal if you're trying to like get those notes a little more evened out. And uh, maybe I think it's called the P. I think it's called the PDW, and maybe now all you can get is the PDW two. But I think it's basically the same pedal. Well, hell yeah, Necrosexual, pick that up for yourself. <laughs> um, all right, and uh, we have a few Facebook. How you feeling, Colin? Uh, you, you got a few more questions I in you? I feel alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Let's do right. uh, them all. How are you feeling? You want to drive out to Huntington right now? You want to come out here? <laughs> I mean, uh, like, where, where, where am I going to go right now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we got you, captive, ca uh, captive guest. Um, and we're going to get into our Facebook questions right now from our followers on Facebook. 
Uh, Nate Beltran wants to know, um, what's your opinion on who's the most talented guitarist, bassist, and drummer you've ever worked with? Uh, is there someone that doesn't get enough credit who should? I assume that would mean even people you've produced, recorded, etc. Ooh, that's uh, tough. Because there's... <laughs> yeah, there's so many. I mean, you know, that, that, that would be a good example just because of the... Um, I mean, I've known about this as long as I've known Lilla, but, you know, other people who are maybe more casual listeners of the band don't know that he's a guitar player. Um, and he's like a masterful, classically trained guitar player <laughs> who teaches guitar for a living. Wow. Um, I, oh, I have a really fun parallel to him, which is uh, Kevin the drummer of Portal, who played on, um, he's actually Brendan, one of the guitar players, little brother, and he plays drums on the last three albums, so Swarth, uh, Vexovoid, and Ion. Um, he is also a guitar player, a guitar teacher for a living. <laughs> um, and he, well, he's also the guitarist of Impetuous Ritual, so it, the, maybe if people know that, they might know a little bit more, but all those guys use pseudonyms and hoods and face paint and all of the above, so it's kind of hard to tell who the hell's right. who. You didn't just dox um, but, him on the show, did you? I could beep, I what, could beep it out. Oh, uh, whatever. <laughs> those guys can fight me. Oh, my God, they'd fucking kill me. They're, like, all eight feet tall. And... No, those dudes are the best. Fucking, fucking shout, shout, out to, shout out to Shane and Chris and uh, Kevin, Brad. Like, I, I miss those guys. All right. Um, um, but yeah, like about the underrated players, I mean, fuck, there's so, there's so many. I, one um, guitar player who I've been working with like almost since the beginning of the studio is uh, my friend Brandon Seabrook, who's, who's not a metal guitar player, but he is like the fastest shredder in the world. Um, he plays guitar and banjo, and he plays banjo with a bow sometimes, so it kind of sounds like a violin. Um, the dude is... I mean, he's just, he doesn't sound like anybody else. His playing is so high energy and so frantic and so insane um, that if, if anybody's just like into shredding, you got to check this guy out, Brandon Seabrook. He's got solo records and different different collaborations. We did um, the, the project Hathenter. Uh, he played on two of the Hathenter records uh, okay. with, with uh, the rest of us. Okay. All right. Um... Uh, and a uh, very specific question here from Justin Netherly on Facebook. Will there ever be another Infidel Castro release? Ooh, this guy's going deep. <laughs> deep I'm into not, the past. I am not familiar with that project. I assume that's a band you were in. Yeah, so that was um, my buddy George Corrine, who was uh, like my old friend who I grew up with and went to grade school with, who was basically my only friend from, you know, the age of seven through... 17 um and i also had my first three bands with him um and infidel castro was i think maybe kind of like our third project together that sort of started maybe right at the end of high school and then bled into like the first couple years of when i was uh, in new york um and it was a uh, just for people that don't know just quickly infidel castro the the idea of that band was to be like as experimental as possible like it was all about cons uh realizing a conceptual idea so george is like a 
totally singular artist and his all of his music is all based on concept. He's not the kind of guy who sits down and fucks around on an instrument and then like that's a riff and he puts together riffs and builds a song. No. The opposite. He's like, "All right, what's the concept of this album? And how can I He's also very uh like a great lyricist and he's very into lyrics and titles and uh it's like that he probably spends just as much energy on that than the sound itself. And I'm very much like a sound guy and I like constructing the sound and playing the instruments. So those were kind of our roles in the band. We both played and we both wrote, but he was kind of like, here's the idea, let's do this, and then I would kind of, you know, help help him realize it. And I mean, this was shit from like we we would play every instrument in the room, both of us to like doing stuff like we'd record stuff burn it onto a CDR, scratch the CDR to hell with a key, put it back in the computer, load the fucked up audio off that, and then use that and layer that and time stretch and time compress and time stretch and time compress over and over again until it just sounded like nothing. Um, so just every crazy idea you could think of, that was that was Infidel Castro. Um, we did three records, but the really the the last one is the double CD which came out on, on Crucial Blast, um, which is called uh, Bioentropic Damage Fractal. If anybody's curious, that's probably the one to check. And also, kind of bringing this full circle back to the beginning of our conversation, that was also a band where we did all samples as the as the vocals. Oh. So we we similar to kind of my. Um, hilarious uh, gore noise movie review album which is in the list of shit that i sent you we spent like you know a year just collecting movie samples and and samples from different things and then using those as a way to kind of like express the themes that we wanted to express instead of just writing lyrics and and singing lead singer um, kit from hell yeah 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 <laughs> sample kit from hell <laughs> But yeah, so that that in a way it's kind of interesting. I didn't even think of that, but that's kind of the birth of the the whole sampling thing for me was actually way back then. So I'm just kind of getting back to that now, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and and, and we'll, it's 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 no no surprise because I've actually been working on a lot of George's music again too. So it all makes sense. It, well, you mentioned the movie review, and um, we should we should we should plug. I, I'm on it. Uh, I I was fortunate enough to be asked to do contribute some guest vocals to that project. Oh yeah, For, uh, forced into it. Uh, yeah, um, uh, forced into it. Um, didn't want to do it. Now I'm now I'm uncomfortable. No, you're, uh, seriously, you're my friend, no. right? A uh, lot of guest vocalists. I'm I'm the one who doesn't. Ha- I'm the one who already has a silly name, so I didn't have to make up a silly name. Um, <laughs> but people want to check out you doing your sample work. That's a good place to start. Uh, and we have a few more questions before we wind down the evening here. Um, the first I'm going to ask you is from Michael Thought on Facebook. He says, my question, how did you develop your production aesthetic? What are some formative bands, production sound-wise, that informed your idea of good production? Um, or what are some albums that are largely praised for production that you agree with? Right on. Um, so I'd say, you know, this is also kind of like coming back to an earlier question, but I think one of the first bands that really caught my ear just in terms of the sound uh, was was Led Zeppelin. Mm. Um, and I mean, you know, an obvious one is Led Zeppelin 4. And I still kind of mm. like that one because it's it, it actually sounds worse than you think it does. Like everybody's <laughs> like, oh, it's the yeah. greatest, it's the greatest drum sound ever. And it's it's pretty nah. like lo-fi and dingy. Um, but in a way record. that's, 
it's just it's it's awesome. I mean, I, I I can't. It's not my favorite music of theirs, for sure. But like, it does have a vibe. Like, there's something about the way the drums and the guitar on that stupid song that everybody samples when the levee breaks. I mean, like, there's something about that that sounds kind of like nothing else and and kind of heavy in a, in an interesting way. But you know, the the later albums actually like physical graffiti. Um, and Houses of the Holy, like those records actually, I think sonically, I was just like, whoa, that's 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 a cool, like big drum sound and an organic sound. And that I think that kind of led me to appreciate the uh, the Steve Albini uh, recordings. Mm. Um, so like the Shellac and the Neurosis records and um, mm. uh, even In Utero, which, you know, I mentioned like I kind of wasn't that into Nirvana, but like I, I was compelled by the sound of that recording. It's funny, I was just arguing with Mick the other day. He's like, I hate the sound of that record. Never mind, sounds way better. I'm like, no, 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 you got it all wrong. It's, you know, that there, there, there's a whole episode too. Um, but, uh, so yeah, I think that that, like Steve's kind of like hands-off approach to recording where it's kind of just like, let's just get sick music and just not fuck it up in the recording yeah. and kind of more or less mm -hmm. let it sound the way it sounds. I thought, like, okay, that's a good place to start. <laughs> yeah, I, it's funny you mentioned Led Zeppelin 4, too. That's my favorite Led Zeppelin album, uh, although I enjoy, you know, their other work. Um, but, yeah, there's something, about, you, you know, you talk about when the levee breaks, there's something about that sound. Um, now, uh, uh, like I said, winding down, we just have a few more questions. Clemens... Uh, uh, I hope I say your name right. Oh, I, I also just, I want to get in one, one more thing about the uh, production yeah. thing though, because, yeah. uh, I, you know, th that's, I kind of just like stopped at, at rock stuff, but, but really I think like what that kind of led to me appreciating was, was, uh, classical recordings. And that's the thing that like rock recording, especially modern rock recording is the furthest thing from. And, even though I'm not, I don't record rock bands like classical music. It's not like it's just one mic in the room and not that all classical recordings are one mic in the room either. You know, a lot of those have spot mics and stuff, but I think it's just this, it's, it's like a different jumping off point than a lot of metal producers have where I think a lot of times with metal, it's like everything has to be completely deconstructed and put back together. And through this way where everything can tend to have a semi-artificial sound or at least like further from what it actually sounds like to have a metal band play in a room so what i like what, what i'm trying to sort of achieve most of the time with with my recordings is something where it is that everything is closed mic'd it is it is taken apart and put back together but it still doesn't sound like a thousand percent removed from watching a band play a show i mean watching a band play a show isn't the clearest sound it's it, it, you only they only kind of get away with it because we're watching them too that's why it kind of sounds as why we think it sounds good really i mean if you listen to like a youtube recording of a show it sounds like dog shit that yeah. is actually what the show sounded like in the room this it's is just yeah i i can't help but like double down on that sentiment like i you know, going on reddit and like audio engineering forums and stuff like that and everyone talks about like when, when metal gets brought up they always br bring up these albums like you know not to shit on them or anything but like that river river of nile album that came out where owls know your name like it is the cleanest production 
No, it's not bad. It's just like it's so clean sounding and stuff. And it's, everyone's citing that album or like Fallujah and stuff <clears> like that. <throat> it's like that's not what it yeah. sounds like in the room. <clears throat> well, um, right, right. Okay, Fallujah, everybody... I know the sound of, and I, I, I know that that's yeah, that's that's definitely more in the synthetic direction for sure. It's everybody chasing that epitaph sound, that necrophagous epitaph sound, right? It's chasing that right, sterile right. sort of deal, right? But that's what we love so much about what you do. Without taking your pants off right now, is 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 being in the room with the band. Yeah, just like some feeling of that. I mean, obviously it isn't that because if it was that, it would just sound like a cell phone recording in the middle of the room, right? Exactly. And and that's not what I'm looking for either. I want clarity. I want the ability to balance different elements as the band wants. If they say I want more ride cymbal, I want to be able to turn up the ride cymbal, you know, things like that. But at the same time, like, yeah, this like completely divorced from reality thing is like... I don't know. It just seems like why start there? Why not start with what the shit actually is and then like push it in the direction until it's clear enough and until it's however you want it enough. Well, but I mean, like I, you know, yeah. I don't want to state the to, obvious, but but it's you know when you if if you're in like when you go and see a band live and you're really into that band and you love them, you'd be like, this is this is amazing, like. I took a video on my phone. Let me show my friend right now. And we're watching the video. It's like, oh, this is cool. But, oh, it sounded so. It sounded way better live. Like there's there's an art to making it sound like you were there than a, a cell phone recording of you actually there. You know, there's an art to to making it sound like you're in the room. You know, right? It's more like the it's more like the feeling of that than literally that sound. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, you know, that's one reason that I'm so into room mics and stuff, because it's like, to me, it's like even with a little bit of a, of a drum room mic in the mix, as opposed to just reverb on a bunch of close mics, it just it gives the brain that feeling of like, of like people playing music. Um, it's, it, it's, it's interesting, like how that subconscious shit, like just this tiny difference in the sound can, can trigger that. And, and, you know, that's not appropriate for every record, but like... I don't know. Like I said, is I think it's just like a cool place to start, and then if you want to push it in a less realistic direction, cool. Yeah, great. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's that that that's it's a that, refreshing way to look at. Music. Yeah, that that is the place to start. You know, is is uh, is almost groundbreaking in like modern production. Yeah, people forget like that. People. Yeah, forget. isn't that hilarious? That it's groundbreaking yeah. to be just like maybe you should start with what you sound like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, maybe don't try to copy a drum machine right off the bat. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Like maybe um, don't punch in one note at a time for your riff, like yeah. to start. Like maybe like after ten hours of recording, maybe you find that that's the way you want to play it because you want that sound. But like, why start there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's like no, I love death, but I don't want to. But you know, I also like I want I, I want to sound like I'm a good guitar player. Too. <laughs> you know, I like, mean, speaking, <laughs> I, I don't play guitar. But speaking from a vocal standpoint, um, and Colin, you know this about me, I look at punching in a vocal part uh, as kind of like a last, you know... Last-ditch effort. Last-ditch, like a, like a last measure. I would rather run through the whole song and do, you know, all the parts for the, for the song. If I'm stuck in particular on some part, I look at it almost as a matter of... Um, uh, I should have I came better prepared, but okay, I'll punch in this part, you know? Totally. And, and, and that's, you know, that's one thing that I really respect about you and, and like um, Mick 
and, and and the other Kralis guys, I kind of like feel like have that that vibe. And then and then another dude, uh, guy that you work with, um, who I think is like the fucking ultimate at this is uh, Ryan Lipinski. Um, mm. That guy, because I've yeah. recorded now two Howling Winds, two Unearthly Trances, no three, and and then <clears throat> vocals for a third Howling Wind, and then the Reeking Aura. So you know, I've recorded like a lot of his metal stuff, and I don't think he like ever does a second take it's ah, it's like ah. everything is a first take and it's awesome and it could be written and sometimes he's doing solos and it's improvised and it's like i don't know he might have done second takes of some stuff but like yeah. i don't remember like ever him doing a punch in on anything and you know he'll just like come in and we'll listen to it and he's like yeah that sounds good you, you gotta, move on you gotta get to know your material before you take it out in public Yeah, I mean, you know, but it's like you do the homework, but then there's also like there's a second mechanism that you have to have, which is not to nitpick yourself to death. And that's what you know not to do Mm -hmm. and what Ryan knows not to do, which is like you guys know what you sound like. And I mean, I remember there was one time that I was recording you and you had kind of like a tough start to the day. I think it like took you a second to find the voice and then you found it and it was fine. But it was like, you know whatever you knew that once you had it you were good to go and you knew kind of like what to expect from yourself and and there's a confidence in that that a lot of musicians to be fair a lot of times it's just inexperience in the studio or maybe you haven't made that many records yet where you kind of don't really know what you sound like yet you don't know what you're capable of so you might have expectations that are different or above or whatever, like what oh, yeah. what you actually can can deliver. So I think that's the kind of thing. That's why I always encourage people not. To, I mean, it's like do your best, make the best record you can. Don't like shortchange it, but don't get into this shit where you're mixing the same album for a year. Don't oh, go back yeah. and re-record your first album. Like stop it like just make another oh. thing like learn from that experience and move the fuck on like you'll be happier and you'll make more stuff and you'll make better stuff I got friends I'm not gonna put names out there but I, I know someone who's like uh, you know tell, telling the band I'm in with them we, you know we should rec- we, you know we should record the album with uh, the guy who recorded my other band's album their other band's album's been in the mixing process for like over two years Oh and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah! And, yeah. And, big, big red and, flag there. And I'm like, yeah, let let let's let's drag us into that quicksand pit too. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like what the fuck? What I uh, just heard. Yeah, but <laughs> the um, news today. But uh, you I know, mean, we, you know, here here's a classic example. I think it was um, I can't remember if it was Beat It or Thriller. It was one of the classic Michael Jackson albums where they did like over a hundred mixes, <laughs> and then they ended up picking the second one. Oh my. Was that the one Eddie Van Halen playing guitar on Beat It, and he just ripped it? He's he's on Beat It, but I mean, I think this was this was the mix, yeah, like where they just like they just mixed it to death. I mean, I mean, hey, I guess if you've got that kind of budget, but it's like I feel bad for the studio. Like they could have made seven other awesome records in the meantime. Instead, they were locked out mixing the same dumb song a hundred times, and then they picked the fucking second one. It's like, guys. Like, no, there's no I, such thing as perfection. Just, like, let it be. <laughs> no notes death metal is where I'm, where I'm trying to be at right now. <laughs> no notes. There's no notes. Just put it out. There's no notes. It's it. I, I gave you what I did. No notes. First yeah. take core. There you go. First take, take core. Yeah. That's right. 
I, I um, yeah, and I, I didn't do that. I, you know, I've not like I've always done that since the first time I went to a studio. The second Buckshot facelift album, I still can't listen to very much today because of the vocals. Not to discredit any of the other musicians on it, but it's because of the vocals. Because there was like, I think there was something like three different vocal sessions over the course of a few months, and I kept going back and replacing shit. God bless Justin Reganzi who produced the first uh, Buckshot, the second Buckshot record. Anchors of the Armless Gods, because it was th- it w- I was doing the opposite of what I do now, and going through that probably led to me trying to do things how I do now, because the second right, right. Buckshot album, it was just, and what you ended up with on the vocals for that album is kind of just like this hodgepodge, mix this in, cut this out, mix that in, lower that, of like, you know, a dozen vocal sessions. It's ridiculous, you know? Um, and, and, and and is it is is your problem listening to it now that like it you feel like it lacks continuity or is it just because it was kind of a, a shitty experience it's doing because, it well, and you didn't feel good while you were doing it? It's because there's such a lack of continuity and consistency. I'm sure people could listen to it from an outside perspective and and not hear that, but I just know what I went through for that album, and right, I know right. in hindsight. Since then, like for for the Buckshot album after that, for the two Buckshot albums after that, and for Artificial Brain and Afterbirth, I go in, you know, like kind of like anal retentive prepared in some instances, just because I want to avoid anything like that experience again, you know. And and doesn't that make you love those records that much more because it yes. was like fun and easy to record, and like yes. that actually kind of like it it makes its way into the sound. It does, and there's a sense of pride you can take from doing things in only a few takes. Not because you woke up that morning and you're the shit and you're Elvis or something, but because you practice and you put in. Yeah, the, you put the, it. The you work. put in the work. Yeah, yeah you, totally. You deserve it, and you're yeah. and you're Elvis this time. Yep. the real Elvis, not your fake one. Fucking Elvis in this podcast for sure. Um, and also, I, I got to say too, that's not to discourage like a piecemeal style of of recording. Um, that totally has its place. And the thing is, like. I've been spending the last nine months pretty much making only records where I make it piecemeal, where like I haven't played a song from beginning to end since since me and you played that show together with Blood Incantation in February. Ah. That's the last time I played a song oh, all the way through God. on any like, on any instrument. <laughs> it seems like a long time ago, much longer than it really was, man. It's been a long. I know year, it's in, it's insane, but 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 that's just to say that it's like you know this way of kind of like. If the point is to make this record that's never going to be played live, where it's not written and then learned and then played and then recorded, where it's just, you're just making the record. And I love doing that. I love making these records where I'm like writing it, playing it, and then it's done. And I don't know, I don't know how to play anything on any Intricate record. It's just written in pieces and then that's it. Um, If you did know how to play that stuff, it would bother me. But but I mean that's that's it's like if if I'm going into it with that then I'm making sure that it works like that. Yeah. The problem I, I, is when yeah. it's it's supposed to it's kind of like the drum the the quantized drum thing. It's like if it's if it's touting itself as being a performance and it just isn't then that comes yeah. off. But if it's if it was never supposed to be then it's not going to come off that way. Yeah, exactly. Like that 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 subtlety is 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 real and and I think people even outside of the people that made it can can key into it in like a subtle way yeah um yeah and you know we could talk about production all night uh with you colin i just want to get through these last two questions that we have uh it's been a long night uh we're we're coming up on two and a half hours we appreciate your time i know the listeners really do um we gotta we gotta make it to like lord of the rings length here 
Yeah, yeah, an hour, an an, an hour for each um, uh, uh, ring. Are we, still, are we directors <laughs> cutting it? I still can't make it through. Um, uh, and to get to the last two questions on Facebook, Clemens, uh, if I say your name right, Clemens, uh, Mike or Mike, uh, he, he's bam, he's flummoxed here. How? Just how? He says. Uh, and this is a little bit different from your question about how you manage all your projects. He he wants to know specifically. Uh, he says, I'd be really interested if you have some sort of scheduled day-to-day -day routine or planned time for mixing jobs, practice, and recording your own projects. Um, do you sleep at all? He goes on. But seriously, do you have, like, a daily routine of, like, I'm going to do mixes in the morning, I'm going to practice my own guitar at night? Like, like what goes on? Or is it just kind of, like, uh, uh, as as the wind takes you to each task? Like, what, what goes on? It, it is the latter. I am I am actually kind of anti-routine. Um, and I love sleeping. I sleep like more than anybody I know. Uh, anybody that's, that's been on tour with me will in annoyance agree that it is, I'm always the last one up. I never want to leave early. I never want to get to the show early. I always want to sleep, get the late checkout. If it's, if we get a room, you know, if we're sleeping at somebody's house, I'm, I'm the last guy in the corner in the sleeping yeah. bag, you know, hand over the face. Like, um, I love sleeping. Um, I think the fact that I sleep a lot is why I'm more productive, or it's one of the reasons for sure. So I think it's funny that a lot of times people are like, "Yeah, like, well, he probably doesn't sleep," or you know, that thing. And it's 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 quite the opposite. Um, and yeah, like I don't, I, I I like not having a routine. I mean, it's I'm so happy to be able to work for myself and do what I love. And there's something so awesome. I mean, obviously, when I have like bands scheduled to come in, that's that's the schedule, but. I like that that's always different. Um, you know, different people like to work at different times of day. Some people like to work earlier. Some people like, you know, can can only do evenings. You know, for people with, with day jobs, then uh, if I'm working with them during the week, it's just in the evenings. Um, so, yeah, I like I like working all times of day in the middle of the night. Um, I like waking up at all kinds of different times. And um, I don't... The only thing I like to not do, and this isn't even like a routine, it's just like... You don't want to like mix or master if you're too tired. Um, you know, like if you've been, one thing I don't like to do is I don't like to track for like eight hours and then mix. Like that's not yeah. usually the vibe. Like, especially if I'm like starting the mix on like a, like a metal album, because metal is always the hardest to mix. I like to like have that be, be the first thing I do in the day. Um, now, but aside from that, I'm not, I'm not too picky. Colin, let me ask you a question. Um, so I've done a lot of mixing myself. I do commercial stuff. I don't mix metal albums. You know, I, I appreciate what you do, and I love hearing Wait, about com it. Wait, com commercial music or commercials? Both. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's, um, the commercial music is for TV. It's like broadcast. Okay, okay, so yeah, it's all, it's all, uh, it's all for sync. Yeah, <laughs> things like that. Um, but uh, you don't smoke cigarettes, do you? No. Okay, because a cigarette is the perfect thing you need to give yourself a fresh ear. What is your take on a fresh ear? Like, when you need to leave well, the I, room... Well, I, I do smoke something else. Well, uh, allegedly, it's fine. But, <laughs> but like, yeah. No, that's actually... Like that yeah, that's actually a great a great thing for getting a fresh, fresh perspective. I mean, one thing, one thing that's nice is to, you know, get up, have a morning, work on a mix like for a full day take a couple hours get something to eat have a smoke and then listen back and it's 
like doing that is almost like hearing it the next day just because you're in a different headspace. You know, your brain's operating a little bit differently. You're maybe focusing on different things. Um, so I, I, I think that that's a really useful tool kind of in getting a fresh perspective and, you know, just sort of like um, hearing it. Like one thing that I that I I think probably everybody that works in a studio struggles with is taking um, working on music from it being work to then being music. So right. like the whole time I'm mixing an album, I'm not listening to it in the same way that I listen to music. I'm listening to it in this whole other very active way. Right. And then once you like, you know, settle on a mix draft, it's like, how do I trick myself into pretending I didn't do any of that and I've never heard this before? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I think like, um, not, uh, and like, yes, um, I mix, you mix, but we're very different in the way we do it. I mean, I'm doing it for a day job. I'm not going to compare what I do to the albums you put out. You know, like we've... Well, like, I mean, my, mine's, a, mine's a day job too, in, in, in a sense. I mean, it's like, it's for work. It's not like just the shit that I would necessarily like do if I wanted to. I mean, I'm, I'm grateful that a lot of it's awesome and some of it is the stuff I would do otherwise, but, yeah. but it, it, you know, it, it is, it is the, a day job. Right. And just like, uh, I guess what I'm supposed, uh, trying to illustrate here is like the idea of walking away from sitting at the computer and like, and paying too close of attention. And what you were saying before about when Will was asking you about, like, um, when we were talking about vocal performances and, like, how nitpicking almost uh, can play against your your creativity in that way. Um, yeah, so that's what I was getting at with you mixing like that. You know, you also have yeah. to know when to walk away. Totally. And, and, and I'll say that the, the other thing, which is uh, my favorite thing to get a fresh perspective, is to put a mix on the iPod throw on headphones and go take a walk in forest park and yeah. that way i'm i'm physically out of the studio i'm not even listening to it on speakers it's you know so headphones and speakers is always going to give you a different perspective automatically but then also being outside walking around being like physically active while listening having like a degree of background noise of like you know birds in the park and leaves rustling and you know people biking and shit um, that, that all gives floor. it like a more realistic context for listening to the music because most 99.9% .9 of people are not listening to a music in a fucking silent recording studio <laughs> and they sure as shit aren't concentrating it on, on, on the way you are listening it's almost like listening dumb you know right right and and, and like listening dumb or kind of like listening worse like listening compromised like so I'll I like uh, I like listening to mixes on like a, a small battery powered speaker you know, as another way to get perspective. So it's just like, I don't really think, I don't, I'm not ever mixing for one particular way of listening. I'm mixing for always, you know, hopefully I'm mixing for all ways of listening. And like, the idea is to get something that sounds as good as possible on every single listening environment in every single listening experience. Um, yeah. and have something that hopefully like where the music still still comes across in some way and you know you know that if it's a tiny speaker it's not going to have as much low end so maybe you know if the bass is a really important thing in the band you got to make sure that there's some high frequency content in it too um so that it comes out in the small speakers you know just things like that uh to, all the way from that specific to like the really nebulous balance uh eq stuff that you know is like impossible to even talk about
Yeah, no, we can't get into that stuff. <laughs> but, uh, Will, do we have any more questions from Facebook, man? Yeah, we have one more question for the night. Um, uh, again, when we get into that production stuff, I feel like, Colin, we could do, like, a, a three or four episodes just about it. Um, but this is kind of the obvious question that you knew was coming, uh, <laughs> that you get every once in a while. Uh, Xander... Grinfolg Besnin, uh, allegedly not his birth name, uh, wants to know, uh, Gorgut, Gorguts update, please. Uh, and have you written any songs for new Gorguts? Gorguts update. Okay, so I did actually get an email back from Luke um, not too long ago, a few weeks ago or something. And um, <clears throat> he says, you know, it's kind of what what I expected. Um, you always worry when you don't hear from him for a long time, but I always know everything's cool. And he says, he's just been, uh, he's just been working pretty much all year. Um, he does a, a wood carving. So he carves like signs and paint signs for, for the city Richmond that he lives in. So he's been just like the sign guy for the entire wow. town. And, you know, he has wow. to go out and like dig a hole and build this entire sign and carve it and paint it. And so that, that's a lot of uh, physical activity. So he's been trying uh, to get that done be before it I, gets cold. I didn't think that I could think Luke LeMay is cooler, but now I do. Dude, Luke is an amazing wood carver. Actually, like, I remember back before I knew him, it was, like, right when Gorguts broke up um, in, like, 2000, 2001, whatever that was, 2002. And he was, like, full-time carving. And I remember finding, like, this eagle that he carved on the Internet and being like, okay. Like, he's got, <laughs> he's got some other, like, tools in the basket. Like, you know, I can't be too upset that he's not doing Gorgons right now. Like, wow. I never knew um, this, but I always knew this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he's, like, he's, like, a build-everything kind of guy. Like, you know, build the pedal board. Build Kevin a pedal board. I remember he came in and he, he was, like, horrified that my mixing desk is a literally like a door on a file cabinet and a sawhorse <laughs> i know what you're talking about i've i've pondered it myself yeah i've like never given a second thought to it i've literally never bought furniture in my life every piece of furniture i have is either not furniture or it's from the trash or it was or is or is free given to me it's just like not something i've ever thought about he's like, but, uh, he's like how do you even hear on this yeah, how can you? Yeah, he, he, you Luke, Luke was all just like, "I'm gonna build. I gotta build you this nice carved desk and stuff." And anyway, he, he realized after a while that it was just like, maybe I should buy Colin a base instead. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so yeah, so just to just to go on with the update, um, he said he's got a uh, he's got a commission to write a classical piece for uh, for like a ballet for like for like a dancer to actually like choreograph dance to the piece that he's going to write Amazing. so that's his next musical project which i'm stoked to to check out and um and then he said this winter he plans on uh like starting to write uh new gorgut stuff so the the interesting thing is that i have actually written new gorgut songs and one of, i've written two new songs one of them i wrote in 2012 <laughs> <laughs> which is actually before Colored Sands came out, but the, um, as, I, as I think yeah. maybe that was some the year people the world know, was supposed to end. Yeah. Now we're here. <laughs> yeah, I mean the, the uh, that record was actually recorded in early 2011, and it didn't come out until late 2013. So there was this whole like two and a half year period where we were just kind of like waiting for it to to finish it and mix it and for it to come out. So. I was just like so antsy during that time that I couldn't help myself and I, and I wrote a song 
And then just last September, I was kind of in the same headspace where I was just like, what's going on with the band? I, I can't stand it. And so I just wrote something. Um, I have no idea if we're going to use it because Luke's been pretty clear that he wants to kind of like set the tone for the new album first and then see if, uh, see if our, you know, maybe if those ideas that I had w would fit, you know, he might want to go in a different direction or something. So we'll just have to wait and see if those ideas get used. And if they don't, you know, who cares? But, um, I am, I, I am really hoping that he, he does get back into it this winter and we can, uh, get together and jam again. Cause, uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't, um, jammed with those guys since, uh, 2017 in the summer. Wow. Jesus. Um, yeah, well, uh, it, you know, it happens, man. And, uh, with that being said, I thought that was an appropriate final, uh, listener question. Uh, we thank all of our Patreon pledges, everybody who follows us on different social media, who submitted questions for Colin tonight. Uh, and Colin, we thank you so much, uh, for bearing with us and answering all the questions. Of course. I've, my pleasure, man. I love, love being on the show. Uh, yeah, man. We love having you. It's great to have you back and open the floor to the listeners and to your fans. Um, and, you know, just I wanted to talk briefly. Like, obviously, we can't just start start over again right now and get into, like, all 20 releases and all this stuff. But um, a number of them are your solo releases under the name Colin Marston. Uh, music for Solo Instruments, uh, Symphony... Sublime, uh, a collection of computer music from 2003 to 2004. Uh, all those are Yeah, the, the computer music and the solo instruments are all older stuff, uh, but mm -hmm. the symphony is brand new. That was like all written in the last couple of months. Yeah, and, and you were able to load most of these onto YouTube, and I think there's probably Bandcamp links for a few of them. There's um, Bandcamp and YouTube for all of them. Okay, for all of them. And some of the, like, Edenic Past... Uh, with Nick McMaster and Paulo is seeing um, a more formal release. Uh, I know the tape is coming out on Lifeless Chasm. Uh, well, yeah, the CD the CD's already out on P2, um, yeah, and then there's yeah. going to be... Uh, and I think the tape is already done. I think the tape is already sold out. So so next is the vinyl, which will be probably like six months because everything's Sweet. so slow. Yeah, and, um, and yeah, I just want to go through a few of them right here. Uh, Aurelsium, A-R-E-L-S-E-U-M is a project with uh, not only you, but Ryan Lipinski, who we talked about of Unearthly Trance and of uh, Reeking Aura, a band that I'm in with him. Uh, that's more of a, that was interesting to me. It's kind of like a noisy kind of dungeon synth experimental project. Totally, yeah. Um, uh, I, like, I can't remember who started it, but we've been kind of talking about collaborating on something for a while. And I think we both kind of recognize sort of like what we were talking about earlier that like neither of us are people who really like arduously create music. Like we're, we're, we have a pretty good flow with, with doing it. And just from working with him, I was like, you know what? I bet if Ryan and I made an album, it would be done in a month. And it was. Uh, and then all of a sudden there was a second album done in another month. So it, it definitely worked. Um, practical. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so the way that project worked, just to give a quick, explanation it's basically like ryan sends me sort of like a song that's usually like two minutes or something with you know three to five layers of of synths and noise with the title and i'll take that and overdub and stretch out the structure into like an eight nine minute song add more keyboards and there's no guitar it's all keyboards and noise and he does some field recordings i think there's like 
on the new album there's some layers of like um recordings he did of his uh his neighbor like out with the leaf blower and then uh. he just like ran that through a through a guitar half stack and recorded it so shit like that um so yeah it's just been a nice like really kind of like easygoing uh project where like it, it it's very just sort of like off the cuff and actually i think every song that we did the mixes that you hear are the first draft they're all the rough mix like no time was was spent those that shit just all just kind of float float out and it didn't really seem like it needed to be worked on more like it was just yeah. good the way it was being uh being like done kind of quick and dirty all right um yeah and it's um uh it's like you said like working with ryan i can kind of understand what you're talking about man he's not he's not a guy that messes around much in the studio he knows what he wants to do um, yeah and i was just i was stoked to be able to like you know have somebody who just is always working on music is always working on different projects and i kind of just knew that whatever we did it would be easy and fun and then it also has the added benefit of like oh i think it sounds cool and I, you know it's like the kind of music that i like to put on to fall asleep to um so yeah really stoked on that yeah and i'm sure there'll be more <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to it, it was funny because ryan kind of um kept a very low key and just showed all of us in Reeking Aura a link one day in the group text and was like, here's my new project with Colin. So it was cool. It was kind of a surprise. Same, uh, I really didn't find out about Edenic Past until um, uh, Lifeless Chasm Tapes was, was doing the, 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 the promotion combined with yeah, the Yeah, with Afterbirth the Afterbirth stuff. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah, so it's, it's <clears throat> cool, man. It's hard for me to keep up with you, man. Um, and, uh, you know, we, are, we talked before about um, uh, in, in Dricothere, uh, which is which is kind of like your so, your solo project. There's a few different styles going on. Uh, the new behold. That's, that's my my first solo project, I guess, because now there's like three others. <laughs> well, it's funny because there's a like Greeth uh, and uh, Zazraug. Like your credit, the the credited artist performing the instruments is Indrikothir, but and then Indrikothir is its own band too. Exactly. It, yeah, there's like lore within Colin Marston's universe. I'm creating like uh, some layers of identity. Is there? Well, you know, something I've talked about um, before, and I don't feel it's like such a big deal or anything, is that in my different band, Afterbirth and Artificial Brain and Buckshot, uh, Reeking Aura, some, the lyrics sometimes reference a, um, a shared theme, a shared world, maybe. They reference each other sometimes. Is there anything? Oh, that's awesome. Going uh, well, yeah, well, I was just going to say, is there anything like that going on with your projects? Because it's almost like with the names Indricothir, Aurelsium, um, uh, Kralis, uh, Zazraug, is there like some sort of fictional language you're, you're taking from? Is this uh, all based on something existing or, you know? Um, oddly, no, actually. Like all those names are have completely separate origins. Um, Zazraug is like, just a word I made up. I thought it sounded cool. That's it. Like, no story. Um, Indrigathir is actually a real animal. Um, that's That was the largest prehistoric land mammal to ever exist. Okay. Uh, it was basically like a giant rhinoceros, giraffe, brontosaurus looking thing. Yeah, tall guy. Um, <laughs> yeah, tall guy. And uh, Kralis was a word that Mick made up, but then we found out it was a real word that meant like, it means king in one language and queen in, in another. Um, but I think that's with one L. Uh, right. And Aurelsium, that was Ryan's idea because it's just our it's just our initials made into a word. It's just our Ryan Lipinski, Colin Marston, Aurelsium. Okay. 
Alright, um, and, you know, on that note, Colin, we've had you going for a few hours here, more than a few hours. Uh, we're gonna wind it down. I mentioned a few of your projects, and, um, you, you know, people who are this far into the interview should know about Behold the Arctopus, whose new album is Hapeleptic Overtrove, if I got that right. Uh, and that yeah, has... guaranteed, as Paulo said, guaranteed to be guaranteed to be on no year-end lists. <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it, and I found it, I found it very refreshing, very interesting. Um, Jason Bowers on uh, percussion, metal, wood, and plastic. He wasn't he from us? Uh, was he from <laughs> Siopus? Was it? Exactly. Yeah, he played yeah. on. So, um, Siopus did three albums, and each of them have a different drummer, and he's yes. on the third album, the final album. Okay. Yeah, and I mean, just that new "Behold the Octopus." Um, I yeah, it's really different, really interesting, and kind of like a, a, almost a um, a middle finger to the face of people who do, who who, uh, who who don't like it and and aren't aren't open minded enough for it. Uh, and also, Kralis, uh, back in August, released Mass Cathexis, um, with Dave Edwardson, uh, on, on vocals. Um, uh, I thought that was a great album. Very dark, very, I mean, as much as Kralis can be straightforward, I found it to be kind of a straightforward metal attack, uh, for Kralis. That's cool, yeah, and it's interesting. The, the, the feedback on that album has been, like, every kind of feedback like there's people that are like oh it's a return to the old sound people are like oh no it's something totally new people will be like oh it's like everything at once that's actually kind of where i tend to think of it as like the everything album yeah. it sort of has like you know there's some songs that kind of reach into sort of our, some of our older stuff but not really and then there's some left field shit one thing i should i feel like i should point out is that most of the songs on the new album were written by by nick by mcmaster okay. um most of the like proggy stuff. Uh, Mick wrote um, three songs, including the first song. So his song kind of sets the tone for the album, but all the kind of like non-repetitive, crazier stuff is all McMaster. So it was written just on bass. And then we took a weird approach to making it where I then wrote the drum parts playing finger drums. And then Lev learned that, and then I wrote guitar on top of that, and then Mick added his guitar. So in a weird way, so Lev did write the drums for Mick songs, but I wrote the drums for everything else. So I'm kind of like the drum composer for a lot of the album, and Nick is like the songwriter for a lot of the album. But then the title track is my song, and it's almost kind of like a brutal death metal song. So that album just kind of is all over the place. Wow, all right. Um, oh, yeah. and and the other thing I was going to say was that the Edenic Past album, that is all McMaster's material. That's all his songwriting. I just, like, I, I wrote the guitar parts, but they, they pretty much follow in some way what he does. I mean, he, he sent me bass, so a lot of time that's, like, not playing chords and stuff, and I would, like, you know, add power chords or different ways of phrasing it, more guitaristic ways of phrasing it. But, like, all the, all the songs are, are his. So there's actually, like, a interesting parallel between the Edenic Past and the Kralis record because they're, they're, they're very much McMaster albums. Interesting. Um, and, and with that being said now, uh, are there, I'm going to give you the floor, Colin, just quickly. If there's any other projects or releases you've done that we haven't covered throughout this interview, uh, is there anything else you want to plug real quick or talk about? That's most of them. I mean, the the first thing I had come out this year is a record I really like, which was which was pre-lockdown um, called Phonon. And that's like a fully improvised album with me on bass, 
Weasel Walter on drums, Alvaro Domine on guitar, and uh, Elliot Sharp, who's kind of like a legendary experimental guitarist, if anybody doesn't know him, uh, also on guitar. Um, and that was, I think we tracked it last year. We did one show, but it was a really cool record because we, we, we really just like improvised for like an hour and 20 minutes or something. And we kept pretty much everything. All we did was we weasel uh, suggested cutting the long improvisation up into like a bunch of chunks and then reordering them. So that way it, it has less of the feel of like an infinitely long jam. There are like a couple transitions when it goes from one piece to the next where it's like jarring and you have like a change that doesn't make any sense for a second and kind of wakes you up. But aside from that, it's just like a purely improvised recording and it it it, it sounds like really coherent in, in a way that I like. And I really like Weasel's drumming on it because a lot of times his improvising approach is like a very it's like a splatter fest like shred as fast as possible totally over the top but on phonon he actually plays like groovy heavy drums um and it was really fun to improvise bass with him because i'd never played bass along with him before just war guitar and guitar so this was like yet another way to interact with him which was really cool all right all right cool man and um uh colin so we we got a lot of insight into um, a varied uh, array of different parts of your working process and career and life tonight. Thanks to all of our listeners and fans of your work who participated in this. Um, and, you know, Colin, we always end our interviews, as you know, by asking someone to recommend one older album uh, that they're a fan of and one newer album. And we're just going to ask you to go ahead uh, and, 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 and give you the floor for that one more time. What is one older release of music and one newer release of music, generally speaking, broadly speaking, that you would want to recommend tonight? All right. Uh, I come prepared. Um, <laughs> All right. Glad so I the, the, the old record isn't that old, and the new record isn't that new, and neither of them are metal. <laughs> I <laughs> love they, it. Are it's, they it's both perfect. from the same year, and they both jazz? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, not, not neither that either. Um <laughs> So the old album I'm going to recommend is from 1991, and it's Laurie Spiegel's Unseen Worlds. And uh, for those who don't know Laurie Spiegel, she is the most famous for, um, if you guys know the Voyager spacecrafts that they sent out of the out of the solar system, they both Voyager one and two had a gold record included on them that had tons of stuff. Basically, it's like. Earth's greeting to aliens. Right. And so it has, you know, lots of different languages and greetings in different languages, and it has nature sounds, and I it has, it was like, lots Elvis, of... But... Yeah, there's Elvis, there's old blues, there's lots of Bach. I mean, there's music from all over the world. There's Gamelon, um, all sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm. And to start off the... Uh, after the kind of the greeting language section... Um, there's like a sound section, and to start that off is Lori Spiegel. She's a she's a um, uh, electronic computer musician, and she did an interpretation of the Kepler uh, equation that describes the elliptical orbits of planets, and she did like a musical represent a sonic representation of that, and it's on the gold record. So that's what she's most known for. But she also has two actual albums of music. She doesn't really consider that music. It's like you know, like a sound representation of a, of math, but it is cool sounding. Um, 
So she made one record in 1980 at Bell Labs in New Jersey, which is some really cool early like sequenced electronic music, which is really kind of like upbeat uh, in a way that I don't typically get down with, but I love it. But then like fast forwarding 11 years to the early 90s, she was working on like really primitive Macintosh and she built like her own, she coded her own instruments with it and made this album called Unseen Worlds, which is basically just like an awesome dark ambient record, but it's coming from this person who's like a computer programmer, but making like incredibly like evocative, like deep, um, you know, heartfelt, interesting, dark ambient music. That's like, one thing I like about it is it doesn't really have a clear mood. It's sort of nebulous. Like it's not happy or sad or scary or, anything that you could put your finger on. It's not like heavy, like, I don't know how to describe it. It's just very, very cool. <laughs> and, it ha and it has quite a bit of, of variety too, but it's, you know, it's more or less electronic music. It's more or less ambient. So there isn't like, there isn't like, there. it's not like there isn't rhythm, but there's no drums or like rhythmic, uh, obviously rhythmic instruments. Um, it's a lot of droniness, but also some melody and, I don't know. It's 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 just a really unique, cool record, and it has an interesting story too because um, it came out on this label that instantly folded, so it was kind of like nobody really got to know it. I think she did a self-release in like '94, and then it finally came out on Bandcamp just like a few years ago, which is which is where I found it. Okay, damn, wow, science. So yeah, an awesome, uh, awesome ambient record. And then my newer release is also a more or less dark ambient record, but it's it's a it's just a full keyboard album. Um, and that's by the one person band Vin Calder, which is V I N D K A L D R, um, which I put into Google Translate, and I fucking love this. It means wind chill in Norwegian. <laughs> Oh, yeah, there you go. Ice. And it's black metal, obviously. Um, well, it's Norwegian. I think you have to be black metal. To be, uh, to well, so it. the interesting thing is that I looked this guy guy or girl up, and uh, it's uh, the person is actually Australian. Um, they're from Brisbane, which is like the same place that Portal and Impetuous and Consummation and those bands are from. Uh, <clears throat> but I don't know if if the person is Norwegian or if they're just obsessed with Norwegian stuff because all of the albums seem to reference like Norwegian mythology and like the very like card carrying second wave black metal type stuff. Okay. Um, and in a way that's kind of like Norwegian black metal, he does some records that are black metal and some records that are just keyboards and just ambient. Um, and so I got super into this record a couple months ago and like, kind of like obsessed with this record in a way that I haven't been obsessed with a record in a really, really long time. And it's called Enchantments of Old Lore, and it came out in 2015. Um, and I don't know, there's something about it that's like highly, highly addictive to me. It's it's ambient music, but like very melodic. Like there's, there's singable, memorable melodies on it. It's not like Lust Mord or something where it's like, you know, just like a cloud. I guess he's got melodies sometimes too, but like, you know, think of it more in the dungeon synth ambient than in the dark ambient ambient. Um, 
where it sounds like a little bit primitive, um, but it's also just like super lush and awesome. And um, I gotta say, like, I've tried checking out the black metal records too, and they're they're good. And actually, some of his guitar playing kind of reminds me of of Mick. But for some reason, that stuff didn't grab me the way the ambient records did, and none of the other ambient records grabbed me as much as this one. So, Vin Calder Enchantments of Old Lore is uh, really like something I've liked more than anything in a really long time, and I don't even know why. It's just I just found myself listening to it like four times a day. Oh, we got to check that out, man. Vin Vin Calder, okay. Vin Vin Calder. <laughs> Vin Calder, okay. Okay, all right. And yeah, that's um, on that's on Bandcamp too. Both the both the Lori Spiegel that that's on a Bandcamp page actually called Unseen Worlds because the, there's a label with the same name as the album, but you can find the album there, and you can find the uh, Vin Calder album on his Bandcamp, his or their or her or whatever Bandcamp page. Um, and I don't think there's any physical release for that, so I think it's only there. I, I think I found it on YouTube, but uh, but it's it's uh, I went and instantly bought it on Bandcamp. Gotcha. Okay. All right, um, all right. So, uh, Colin, thank you for the recommendations. Um, definitely went off the beaten path a little bit. Uh, I don't think anyone's ever recommended those before. Uh, and um, some new music for the listeners and for us to check out in 2021. Which, as I mentioned, by the way, this is our New Year's Eve episode. Uh, we hope. Oh, finally, in- we're done with this stupid year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everyone, every, you know, everyone keeps saying stuff like that, but it's like 2021 is not automatically going to be better. It's coming again. <laughs> no. Yeah, like there's not just going to be a, uh, a fairy godmother that that clicks her heels at midnight. You know, I've been more miserable. No, in, in, no. In fact, it's going to start worse. <laughs> yeah, it's going to start uh, worse than 20, 2020 started. Well, but regardless, uh, we're in 2020 now. We definitely appreciate you uh, checking in with us tonight on New Year's Eve, uh, answering all of the listeners uh, and and fans of yours' uh, questions. Uh, And again, as we said at the top of the episode, people can always go back and check out our first episode with you where we cover a lot of in-depth history of your history of music and your bands and your specific albums. Um, And we appreciate you catching up with us. And uh, with no further ado... New Year's Eve 2020 is out of here. Uh, I can't guarantee to anybody 2021 is going to be better. Um, but I can guarantee, Colin Marston, you're going to take us out with a special uh, Menegroth the Thousand Caves countdown, right? That's right. All, all right, <laughs> sweet. So before we get into it, before we hit the button, uh, I just want to say... Uh, from me, uh, Heavy Hole Podcast, thank you to Colin, and Happy New Year, uh, not only to you, Colin, but to all of our listeners. Happy New Year to you guys. I love you guys. I love the I love the podcast, and thanks to, seriously, thanks to everybody who gives two shits enough to, to ask me a question. That's like, it's so, you know, I kind of had a fear that I would come on and you'd be like, yeah, so nobody really wrote in, like I had that thought. <laughs> No, nah, it's like, all good. We would just talk. We would just like talk Gouda about sci-fi then. It's all good. We would we would still have a three-hour conversation about science fiction. It's all good. Yeah. Yeah. That'll that'll. I'll see you in one year for that episode. All right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Uh, and uh, Tom and Justin, I don't want to leave you. These guys are half in the bag. Justin is very drunk right now. I am. I um, just started eating these Polish cookies. Uh, I yeah. don't know where they came from. <laughs> Let, let's. That's Poland? that's the east. Yeah, Polish cookies is actually an Easter egg for our Patreon listeners. That's right. Uh, I, that's what I call you guys when I go to sleep. Yeah. I call you guys my Polish cookies. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much uh, every night. 
Uh, thank you for your dollars. Thank you for your cents. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm here for you as you are for me and for our guests. And uh, God damn. That rhyme. That was cookies. a rap. You just, yeah. He just freestyled he a little bit. I'm, so, I'm, right. I'm yeah, that was to, pretty good. I'm supposed to warn, behind that. I was supposed to warn you guys before I... What is that? Oh, I'm supposed to warn you guys before I rap in front of you. Yeah. That's okay. I, thought I, I, alien I warned outside. everyone That's before right. I rap my presence. That's a warningless rap. Yeah, right? Tom? Yeah. Because I, I, I scare my friends with how good I am at rapping. Okay. Tom, what's your final Happy New Year message? Uh, just keep doing it. You know, you, you <laughs> can't look back. You know, I don't know. <laughs> Whatever Tom, it is, you Tom, do it. Tom is like on a violent crime spree or yeah, something. Yeah. Just, just keep doing it. You can't look back. How come Tom yeah, gets a crime what? spree? That's great. Yeah, keep doing yeah. it. All That's what you're gonna good at. Say, all I'm going to say is that I all don't right. know how 2021 is going to be. But, Why not? But you're going to wish 2020 <laughs> happened again. Oh, you're <laughs> trying to buy Bitcoin. Oh, yeah, it's good. Yeah, the world's going to end. You're going to need a Bitcoin. And, yeah. um, it's fine. But, I have a message for I have a message for everybody. Check oh, that. You ever watch mo- you ever watch movies before? <laughs> all, right, all right, just shut up. Yeah. You, yeah. you ever saw a movie? <laughs> all right. Yeah. Uh, the movie review is Colin Marston's new Gore Noise project, amongst uh, like a dozen other or more projects he's put out this year. We talked about them at length. Yeah. Uh, they're all on band. That's actually camp. a great one. That's a great one for New Year's. I think if anybody wants like a like a stupid album to put on for New Year's Eve, it's, it's, a good it's only party. twenty minutes. It's it's. I never thought I'd say this, but it's a good party gore noise album. Uh, it's absolutely a party album. I mean, it yeah. it's like it is made with only fun in mind. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, yeah. So put that on uh, directly at midnight uh, f- for your New Year's Eve wrap up celebration. Uh, Colin Marston, we thank you so much for your time, brother. Always good to speak with you. Yes, sir. Uh, Justin and Tom, there's no one else I'd rather celebrate this pre-New Year's Eve recording fake New Year's Eve production style <laughs> with. Allegedly. Uh, allegedly. There's no one else I'd rather celebrate this fake, in, <laughs> not actually in the same room together in advance of New Year's New Year's. Did you yeah. say fake news? But that's going to be... No, nobody said no, anything fake political. fake New Year's. Uh, <laughs> okay, right. uh, so, uh, I'm untriggered now. So, Colin, shout out <laughs> to you. So, natural acoustic drum notes? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. So, Colin, shout let's out bring, to you. Let's bring Chevy into the conversation. He hasn't been here yet. Oh, God, All acoustic no. drum notes. No, I, not, um, I don't <laughs> want to talk politics. I don't want to talk drum triggers No, we're anymore. not. I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm uh, mic'd uh, up and uh, untriggered right now. Let's do, do it. All right. Well, wrap up. You, you do it. What do you guys do it? All right. Well, <laughs> He's done. He's done. We, we interrupted him too many yeah. times. All right. Sorry, well, sorry, thanks, brother. everyone, for listening to Heavy Hole. Uh, this is the Colin Marston Q&A New, New Year's Eve countdown. Spectacular. We appreciate yeah. it. Colin, thanks for your time, man. We really appreciate it, dude. Yes. You guys are the best. Thank you. Thank you to all the Patreon, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter uh, supporters that we've had that we've have uh, followed us so faithfully throughout this year and all the years we've been around, which is about a couple, um, and we hope to grow that in the future. Thank you guys for being so supportive and asking questions to our illustrious guests tonight. All right, and with no further ado, here is the Colin Marston uh, New Year's Countdown from Men Across the Thousand Caves. Now, we'll Three, two, one. That was a countdown to the countdown. Seven, 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 seven,